This recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'ina ma ba'd. So inshallah ta'ala this is the second uh, sitting of the Tafsir al-Jalalain reading and commentary. And yesterday we began with Surah Al-Baqarah, we did 101 verses, and Allah Azza wa is speaking about the issue and the concept of submission to Him and what it means to have Tawheed in Allah Azza wa and belief. And as we all know, that is the cornerstone, the main aspect, the most important issue that we as Muslims need to understand and believe in and have faith in. And that is our worship of Allah Azza wa alone. And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala in Surah Al-Baqarah does that in numerous ways through the stories of Adam and Iblis and the story of the people of the Ka'a with Musa alayhi salam. But for the last good few passages now, Allah Azza has been speaking about Bani Israel, the children of Israel, and how they behaved and what they did in terms of the instructions that were given to them and the commandments that were passed on to them by their various prophets that Allah Azza sent to them. And it is important to mention here, I think, that when we read these verses, they have to be taken in the context in which they were revealed. And it is not allowed for a person to take from these verses uh, or to misinterpret them in the sense that they go and harm people or that they in some way take this as some green light as some people do to harm people who may be of other faiths. And I think that's just an important point to mention and to remember. So we were on verse, or we're beginning with verse 102, which is also from the ways in which Bani Israel dealt with the revelations that they were gave to them, that were given to them. And one of the things that they did, as Allah Azza wa mentions and will mention, is how they changed the scriptures and how they changed the teachings of their prophets. And when they changed the teachings of their prophets, one of the things that they do is that they ascribe to them something which they are free of. And that is very common in the in their scriptures. And some of those narrations are mentioned even in the books of Tafsir. How they say concerning the prophets of Allah that some of them committed major sins, some of them even had, um, you know, uh, what we would consider to be very unworthy and becoming things of a Muslim, let alone someone who is a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we're going to begin, inshallah ta'ala, with the reading from verse 102, and I'll hand it over to Brother Ismail. Sulaiman did not disbelieve, and so could not have practiced magic because it constitutes unbelief. <laughs> 
foreign women by the Sahrawis among the two angel women by the one. Brothers Malakain, two angels, and also Malikain, two kings, Asan and Nawab. He taught no one without first saying to him, giving him good advice, we are merely a trial and temptation from Allah to people to test them by teaching it to them. So that whoever learns it is an unbeliever, and whoever abandons it is a believer, so do not disbelieve, even by learning it. According to Ibn Abbas, there were two sorcerers who taught magic. It is said that there are two angels sent down to test people. If someone refuses to do anything but learn magic, then they taught it to him. People learn from them how to separate a man and his wife, meaning by making them hate one another. But they, meaning the magicians, cannot harm anyone by it, meaning the magic except with Allah's permission and by His will. They have learned what will harm them, meaning the next world, and will not benefit them, such as magic. They, meaning the Jews, know that any, any who deal in it, by choosing it or taking it in exchange for the book of Allah, will have no share of regarding in the next world. What an evil thing they have sold themselves for, bartering away their portion of the garden when they learn magic so the fire becomes mandatory for them. If they only knew, meaning the truth of the punishment for what they do, they would certainly not do it. So this verse, verse 102, is one of those verses that we're going to have to take a few minutes to explore. It is primarily speaking about those people who ascribe magic to the Prophet Sulaiman And we know that the Prophet Sulaiman is one of those prophets of Allah that was given some of the most amazing miracles. And as Allah mentions and we will mention later on in the Quran, Mulkan la min kingdom that none after him should have. And from that kingdom was his control of the jinn and his command of the wind and so on and so forth. This is a, a statement that was ascribed to the Prophet Sallallahu that he disbelieved in Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala by teaching people magic and so on. And Allah Azza wa refutes that because the Prophets of Allah are sent to call people to Allah and to Tawheed and not to any form of disbelief and shirk. And that's why the scholars say that the Prophets of Allah do not worship other than Allah even before prophethood. Like our Prophet Wasallam, it is not reported that he ever worshipped an idol or that he ever bowed down to one or that he ever sacrifice to one or any other form of worship to those idols even though they're within their community and they're part of their people Allah Azza wa preserves them from that shirk even before they receive the message and the prophethood the long uh, narration that Rasulti Rahmullah Ta'ala mentions about the magic that was found by Sulaiman and he buries it in the earth and then it's revealed after he dies and so on this is from the Israeliyat from the Israelite traditions that we don't know whether they're authentic or not but they seem distant and it seems far-fetched as some of the scholars of tafsir have mentioned. Sulaiman did not disbelieve, but the shaitan, the shayateen, the devils did. When they taught people sorcery and what had been sent down, Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, in the Arabic, وَمَا أُنزِلَ عَلَى الْمَلَكِينَ What was sent down. And the ma here can be of two meanings. Ma and nafiyah, which means a ma of negation. 
the man in Arabic language can be for a question, istifham, it can be for nafia, negation, it can be ismun mawsul, which means that which. So the translation that we have here is of the opinion that it is that which, meaning that which was sent down to the people. And that is the position chosen here by al-Suyuti and al-Tabari and others. The other opinion, which is also favored by Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, and al-Qurtubi and others, is that it is ma'in nafia, that Allah Azza wa did not send down angels with magic. That it wasn't sent down to, to uh, Sulaiman alayhi salam, but rather the, the shayateen, the devils are the ones who brought this magic and they are the ones who taught it to people. And the issue of difference of opinion here really revolves around the two people or the two names here, Harut and Marut, Malakin. And Malakin means two angels, and that is the qira'ah of all of the ten qurra. The other qira'ah here of two kings, Malikin is the qira'ah of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhum and al-Hasr al-Basri and other scholars it is the qira'ah shadha meaning there is not a qira'ah that is mutawatir from the Prophet it's not one that it is recited in however the qira'ah shadha when it is reported from the companions especially it is tafsir meaning that the position amongst the scholars of Islam therefore is Harut and Marut were the angels that were sent down by Allah to bring down magic and teach it to people as a form of test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to test people to see whether they would take that magic and that's why Allah says that they weren't taught or people weren't taught that magic until they were warned of its dangers and harm so was it a test that Allah sent down for people to test them to see whether it's something which they would take or they would leave and that is the position of many of the scholars of tafsir that they were two angels and that seems to be what is apparent in the Quran the other opinion that many of a number of scholars also uh, took and it's based on the Qira'at, the recitation of Ibn Abbas is that they were not angels but rather they were two kings and the whole issue here is would Allah send down uh, angels that only command Allah to teach people something which we know to be haram and something which we know to be harmful some of the scholars said yes it is possible and it is a test that Allah sends down others took the Qira'at of Ibn Abbas and they said no Rather, Harut and Marut are two kings, they were two people, humans, in which case they are humans like every other human, they do good and they do evil, and that's why he goes into some detail concerning the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. At-Tabari and others from the scholars of tafsir have a very important principle here, and that is that when Allah mentions something which is ambiguous and he doesn't go into the detail, and we don't have any authentic narration, neither from the Prophet wasallam or anything from the companions that seems to give us that clarity as to the story and the background, then our position should be just to say Allah knows best. And we don't really know the details of the story and what it is that Allah uh, necessarily did in that situation. And that is a, a methodology of tafsir that I think is a safe methodology and it is a methodology that the scholars of tafsir often abide by. And that is because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions something in the Qur'an, what He mentions is mentioned because it is important. And what is not mentioned is left out because it is deemed to be unimportant. And so the purpose of the verse here is to show how people ascribe to the Prophets of Allah something which they are free from. And how people use things to harm others, claiming that it is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted them to do. And Allah azza wa jal knows best. ولو أنهم آمنوا واتقوا أو لذلك من الجيل الدليل لقصة صلى الله عليه وسلم رسول الله حكيت دكتور عن شو فيها الرحمة من الله على إبانين ذي عكس الديسبيديس سوتش سوسري لن يكون من الوالدين لما توبتم من عند الله 
And that is always the position. When Allah Azza wa gives us something to take what Allah has given and to abide by it, will always bring us good and benefit and to turn away from it or to try to twist its meanings or to try to do it in a way that hasn't been legislated will only open the door to evil. So, when Allah is saying, and by the way, the scholars of Tafsir mentioned that this is the first command that is given to the believers that is titled, O you who believe in the Quran. So, this is the first time that Allah uses the call to the believers, O people of faith. Allah Azza wa Jalla is referring to these people that the companions radiallahu anhum at the beginning of Islam will say to the Prophet Ra'ina and Ra'ina means look out for us, look after us and what the hypocrites would do in Medina is that they would take the same thing, the same word but it has another meaning in the Arabic language which is an unfavorable meaning which comes from Ru'una which is a type of, of, of curse or is a type of derogatory statement and so they would take it and they would twist it and they would say the same things. So Allah Azza wa forbade the companions from using that statement and instead said to them, Undurna, which means look towards us. Rather than look after us, means look towards us. Or Ra'ina means to care for someone. Undurna means to look towards them. And so Allah Azza wa told them to change this. And then again, this is an example of how the hypocrites and others would take what Allah had given and they would twist it, its meaning. And they would give it a different flavor, they would give it a different appearance, and they would use it all the time trying to be derogatory. Reward, or equal to it in respect of obligation and reward. 
So Allah Azza wa in this verse is read as Nunsikh, which is the Qirab ibn Amir, and Nansakh by the rest. Allah Azza wa is saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes will abrogate a verse. So a verse is revealed in the Quran and then it is abrogated. Either the recitation of it is abrogated and the ruling remains, or the ruling remains and its recitation is abrogated, or both the ruling and the recitation of it are abrogated. The disbelievers would say, why does Allah do this? What kind of recitation or revelation is this that one day has one ruling and then another day has a different ruling? And we will come into an example of this in further detail in a few pages when Allah speaks about the changing of the Qibla and the direction of prayer. And this was something which they would criticize. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this for many, uh, for many reasons and for many wisdoms, not the least of which is why Allah is mentioning it in this passage, and that is to test people in their faith. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can decree as He pleases, and can change as He pleases. And who is there to say that Allah cannot or should not do something? What kind of audacity is that to demand Allah does something or does not do something? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again is mentioning this in the context of what we are currently speaking about. And so there were rulings of Islam that would change and they would change over time as we know and there will be a number of examples of this that we will see throughout the Quran. And by the way this was one of the earliest sciences that the scholars of tafsir and Quran paid attention to. The science of nasikh and mansukh abrogation was one of the earliest sciences that the Muslim scholars studied and wrote about concerning the sciences of the Quran because of its importance. ألم تعلم أن الله له ملك السماوات والأرض؟ لنقول فالله إسميه تجد صمت يرتهز الآخران أن تجد وأهل الأرض وما لكم من دون الله ولي ولا نصير And that inside Allah has no protector and no helper so this is what I said the, This is the answer that Allah gives Allah controls and owns everything in the heavens and the earth To him belongs all kingdom He can change verses and abrogate them as he pleases And change rulings as he pleases And clearly that is defined to The lifetime of the Prophet But once he passes away That abrogation stops And those rulings are now firm and established Until Yawm al Qiyamah so this sentence here, which uh, the translators have mistakenly added to 107, is actually part of verse 108. And one of the methodologies that, that is Siyut and Mahali use in their tafsir is that sometimes before the beginning of a verse they will commentate on it. But because the commentary is mixed with the commentary of the last verse and then the next verse, the translators on a number of occasions have mistakenly thought that it's still referring to the last verse. But the scholars of tafsir, when they speak about this particular incident of Mecca being wealthy and Safa, the mountain of Safa to be turned into gold, it is referring to the next verse which is 108. Now. Or do you want to question your messenger as Musa was questioned and invited people before? This was when they asked if he could show them Allah openly and other things. Anyone who exchanges belief for unbelief, meaning by not considering the clear signs but following something else instead, has definitely gone straight from the level way. 
So Allah Azza wa Jal in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that one of the ways that the people of Quraysh would behave is as the way of the people of the book as well. That they would demand signs and miracles from their prophets. From them is what the people of Musa said to him, that we want to see Allah before us and other things as well. And again, remember that these verses, even though they speak about a nation that is not our nation and a, a tribe and a people that have come before us, and they still exist obviously today as well. The lessons for this are for us, meaning that these are things that you shouldn't do when it comes to obedience to Allah, submission to Allah, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the most important components of that is obedience to the prophets of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam. And we touched upon this yesterday when we said that if a person has iman in their heart, then they don't need all of these big, massive, amazing signs and miracles. But if a person has that strength of iman, it is enough for them to hear the words of Allah and to understand their truth. Whereas when iman is weak and when it is faltering, that is when people come and demand these types of signs of Allah, thinking that it is something that they are owed because they feel that Allah owes them a sign so that they can know that they, it is the truth and to believe. But they forget that Allah Azza wa created them for a test and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does as he pleases and commands as he wishes subhanahu wa ta'ala. in the books of tafsir and narration of Usama bin Zayd radiyallahu anhuma that he said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu who was one of the leaders of the Ansar from the companions of the Ansar he said do you not hear what these hypocrites meaning Abdullah ibn Ubay who was the leader of the hypocrites in Medina and his ilk his companions say concerning me and say concerning us and so Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiyallahu anhu said oh messenger of Allah ignore him pardon him forgive him and that was how the Muslims were for many of the early years in Medina. And how many occasions, on how many occasions, when in battles and in wars and in the slander of Aisha and in many other occasions, when those hypocrites would do something that was detrimental and harmful to the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ would ignore them. And the Prophet ﷺ would look the other way. And the Prophet ﷺ would be patient towards them, alayhi salatu wasalam. And that is what Allah is referring to here. He was told to be pardoned and to be patient with them. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ never harmed them. And he never hurt them in that way or fought them or killed them until Allah made the affair clear to the people. Who, 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 who
the argument between the Jews of Medina and the Christians of Medina, the presence of the Prophet The Jews said that only the Jews would enter paradise, and Christians said that only the Christians would enter it. Such statements are examples of the delusions which they hold, and of their vain hope. Say, meaning to them, produce your evidence of that which you're telling the truth about it. But, uh, not so, because the truth is that others beside these two groups will enter the garden. Then, all who submit themselves completely to Allah, literally to the face of Allah, and the word face is mentioned here because it, because it is the numbers part of the body, and all the rest of the body follows it. And our good doers by affirming the unity of Allah. So find their reward with their Lord, the reward for their actions in the garden. So we have this story that is mentioned by Ibn Abbas and others in the books of Tafsir that the Jews or a Jewish community amongst it in the time of the Prophet argued that they would be the people of Jannah and the Christians of Najran they came at one time and they argued the same thing and Allah says in verse 102 Bala, it is not so but in fact rather those who will enter into Jannah are those who turn their faces towards Allah. Aslama wajhahulillah. They submit their faces to Allah. And what that means is, as, as you find here in the commentary of a suyuti and as mentioned by Ibn al-Mam al-Tabari, it means that you submit yourself completely to Allah. And that is why in sajda we place our face on the ground because it is the most humbling of positions and the most submitting of them. And that is what it means to completely submit yourself wholeheartedly towards Allah Azza wa Jal because as humans we will never place our head on the ground, on the floor, in front of any other human who irrespective of their position and their status and their wealth because we have that type of self-dignity and self-honor that we wouldn't humiliate ourselves in that way unless in exceptional circumstances. But for Allah Azza wa Jal we do it willingly. And we do it five times a day and more and more because we know that that is something which Allah Azza wa Jal deserves subhanahu wa ta'ala.
These are two positions amongst the scholars of Tafsir and Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah and others chose that this verse was concerning the Roman Byzantines who destroyed Jerusalem and therefore stopped people from worshipping the houses of Allah Azzawajal, frequenting the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ibn Kathir and others rahimahullah said that it's referring to the Quraysh when they stopped the Muslims from coming in the year of Hudaybiyah to perform Umrah and to worship Allah Azzawajal. And Imam al-Qurtubi rahimahullah combined between the two and he said it includes them and them and everyone else who prevents people from worshipping in the houses of Allah. And the position of Imam al-Qurtubi is a well-known methodology amongst the scholars of tafsir. And that is that when you can reconcile between those different opinions and bring them together because they don't conflict and there's no contradiction between them, then that is the methodology that the scholars of tafsir from old have always abided by. And therefore we understand that Imam al-Tabari is saying it is the Christians primarily but not exclusively. And Ibn Kathir is saying that it's the Quraysh primarily, but not exclusively. And Al-Qurtubi is joining between the two. Yeah. The following ayah was revealed when the Jews attacked the chaining of the Qibla from Jerusalem to Mecca. Or it may refer to prerogative prayers while mounted on a journey, facing whichever direction the animal is going. Both east and west means the entire earth belong to Allah. So wherever you turn, when you're facing the prayer at his command, the face of Allah is there, meaning it's his tibla with which he is pleased. Allah is all encompassing, encompassing everything, encompassing everything with bounty, all knowing about how to manage his creation. So both, again, both of those opinions are mentioned amongst the scholars of Tafsir. Either the verse is referring to the changing of the Qibla, which we will discuss in more detail at the beginning of the second juz, or that it's referring to a person when they're riding, and they're, they're riding on their, in those days on their animal, and the animal changes direction, so it's not facing the Qibla in optional prayers, then it is allowed. And that is clearly established in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, the Hadith of Ibn Umar عنهم, and others, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he would travel, he would pray on his on his on his camel or his riding beast and he wouldn't mind whatever it faced in terms of its direction once he had begun his prayer. The following verse can be read with or without work and at the beginning. And they, meaning the Jews and Christians, and those who say that the angels are close of Allah, say Allah has a son. Allah Almighty says, glory be to him. Disassociating him from all of that. No, everything in the heavens and the earth belongs to him. As his kingdom, creation, and slaves, absolute authority is not compatible with having children. It's not logical. Everything is obedient to him. In every way he desires it to be. Masculine plural is used because of the dominance of rational beings in the group. They said that Allah has a child. In classical Arabic, walad can refer to male or female, which is why you have in the commentary that's referring to those who said that Allah has a son, or the Arabs, or some of them used to consider that Allah has daughters. And so if walad means son only, then it doesn't refer to, or it's difficult for it to refer to the position of the Arabs. 
But classically, walad used to refer to both. He used to refer to a male and he used to refer to a female. It was the word for a child. But obviously in, in normal Arabic now, in everyday Arabic usage, walad has become the name for a son. And it is important when doing tafsir to understand Arabic as it was understood in the time of the Prophet ﷺ because that is the understanding and the tafsir that is being mentioned. He sent so many signs Yet still the disbelievers would say If only Allah sent us a sign Allah sent them sign after sign after sign And still they say If only Allah sent us a sign If only there was a clear sign If only there was And so when the Prophet ﷺ was asked to split the moon in the Meccan period And the Prophet ﷺ did so As is mentioned in the books of Hadith They said despite seeing that clear miracle and sign from Allah It is a form of magic so whenever Allah sent a sign, they would deny it or twist it or in some way reject it. And then they would say, but Allah sent us no sign. Allah doesn't speak to us directly. Why did Allah choose to speak to only him, meaning the Prophet ﷺ or the Prophets of Allah? Why doesn't he tell us directly that this is what he wants from us? And this is what Allah is referring to. Meaning don't ask And you will not be asked Meaning Allah Azza wa is forbidden Forbidding us from asking about the people Who have been entered into the fire That we shouldn't ask about them in terms of Will Allah forgive them? Can Allah forgive them? You are not responsible You will not be asked concerning those people as well Will never be pleased with you until you follow their reason. Qul inna huda Allahi wal 
So often you will find a Suyuti Ta'ala mentions that this verse was revealed by, by about a group of people, about the Jews, about the Quraysh, about this group or that group. And these are narrations that are mentioned in the books of Tafsir. And it is not known as a specific cause of revelation, meaning that it's not something which was specifically to them or wasn't specifically concerning this, but it's possible that it was revealed concerning those people. And so he will often mention this. And the scholars have a principle and that is from the principles of Usul al-Tafsir al-Ibratu bi'umum al-Lafz la bi-khusus al-Sabab What is important is to remember the generality of the wording and not the specificness or the specificity of the cause of revelation Meaning that Allah wants us to benefit from the lessons and the words and the meanings of the Qur'an irrespective of who it was revealed about because generally speaking the Qur'an even if it was revealed about a people or concerning a situation that ruling is not specific to that situation alone meaning it's not just for that individual or at that time but it's a ruling and its benefits continue and so it's important to remember that because otherwise we think that it doesn't refer to us يا بني إسرائيل اذكروا نعمتي التي أنعمت عليكم وأني فضلتكم على العالمين. Part of this remember the blessing that was said on the day when Isaac carried you over all other beings. This was already explained in commentary on 340. واتقوا يوما لا تجزي نفس عن نفس شيئا ولا يقبل منها عدل ولا تنفعها شفاعة ولا
So Allah Azza wa Jalla, after mentioning all of the previous passages concerning Bani Israel, <coughs> when I give us the example of one of the greatest examples of submission and sacrifice to Allah Azza wa Jalla, and that is found in the story of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Because his life from the beginning to the end is one of sacrifice and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, Allah chose him as his khalid and close friend because of that level of sacrifice and submission. Ibrahim is also read as Ibrahim, which is the Qirab ibn Amir. He says Ibrahim in his recitation and both are correct. Allah Azza wa says here that he gave him certain words. And the scholars of Tafsir have a very long discussion as to what those certain words are referring to. Some of them said it refers to the general rulings of Islam that we know of, seeking forgiveness, prayer, and so on and so forth. Others from amongst them said it is specific to Hajj, the, the rulings of Hajj, because Hajj comes from Ibrahim alayhi salatu wasalam. And others said that it's referring to the fitrah, the ten points that are mentioned here by As-Suyuti rahimahullahu ta'ala. The, so he says those ten forms are rinsing the mouth, snuffing water up the nose, which is what we do in wudu, basically. Using the toothpick, basically the miswak, clipping the mustache, letting the beard grow. I didn't find this in the original, in the Arabic of Suyuti. He doesn't mention this as far as I know. And I checked two or three different editions. Nor is it mentioned in the narrations in the other books of tafsir. Rather, what is said instead, and perhaps they misunderstood it, is farqur ras. And farqur ras is parting the hair and letting it fall down to the side, as the Prophet would do as part of during some of the years of his prophethood in order to be different from the way the Quraysh would comb their hair. Cutting the nails, plucking the hair of the armpits, shaving the pubes, circumcision, and cleansing oneself with water, meaning istinja in the bathroom. Allah Azza wa said, you will be an imam. Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran, inna Ibrahim kana ummah. He was a one-man nation, a leader for all of humans. He said, Ibrahim alayhi oh Allah, and what about my children? And one of the most beautiful aspects of the Quran is how the prophets of Allah, and we will see this because what Allah will mention in this passage concerning Ibrahim, what he will focus on is the du'as made by Ibrahim alayhi salam. As he leaves his children in Mecca, son in Mecca, and as he continues throughout the years to make du'a for the people of Mecca and for his uh, offspring. He says, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِي What about my children? Always the Prophets of Allah used to use the word ذُرِّيَّة generally in the Quran. And ذُرِّيَّة means offspring, not just children, but grandchildren and great-grandchildren and many generations to come because they have that long vision and sight that we want people, not, we want not only our children to be righteous, but our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And that is one of the benefits of using the du'as of the Quran when we make du'a for our own children that we often restrict it because we're children means my sons and daughters. But the prophets are making dua for generations to come. And so from the benefits of that dua and the ways in which Allah answers it is that the Prophet ﷺ comes from his offspring. And that is one of those benefits of using the word dhurriya. Allah said, لا ينال الظالمين The wrongdoers won't take this covenant, meaning from amongst your children they will be righteous. And they will inherit your covenant and what we are giving of you to you of reward. But then they will be from amongst them, and they are like the people of Quraysh in the time of the Prophet ﷺ and before him, who worshipped idols. They are also from the offspring of Ibrahim ﷺ. They do not inherit, meaning that you don't just get the reward of Allah and his paradise by virtue of lineage. But rather it is through Iman, and that is why the Prophet ﷺ said in the hadith, O Fatima, daughter of Muhammad, believe, for if you do not, I cannot help you in the sight of Allah in any way. Yeah. 
Canada, I face a breakdown for people to resort to from every direction. Sanctuary is my dividing, making it secure from injustice and rage which happens elsewhere, so that even if a man meets his father's killer there, he may not attack him. So Allah Azza wa Jalla says here, and we took and, and take the station of Ibrahim as a place of prayer. What taqadu, what taqidu, what taqadu is the recitation of Nafi and Ibn Amir. What taqadu is that they took. What taqidu is you take, meaning what taqadu that the Arabs, even the Quraysh, used to honor the Kaaba and, and honor the Maqam of Ibrahim. What taqidu and you take also, therefore. It as a place of prayer. Maqam Ibrahim, some of the scholars said it refers to Mecca in general. Others said it refers to the Hajj site, Mina Arafa Muzdalifa. But the position of the majority of them is that it is the Maqam Ibrahim as we know it, which is the footsteps of Ibrahim والسلام, that are today encased within that glass case. And that is the position of Al-Tabari ibn Kathir al-Qurtubi alayhim, rahmatullah. So they took it as a place of prayer, meaning the Quraysh, and you too honor it. And this is one of those instances in which Umar radiallahu an, as is authentically reported, asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or suggested to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that they should take the maqam of Ibrahim as a place of prayer, and Allah azza wa revealed revelation, confirming what Umar radiallahu an said, and there are a number of those examples throughout the sunnah, of Umar saying something, and Allah revealing the Qur'an in agreement. The Maqam of Ibrahim it is said in the time of the Prophet was joined to the Kaaba, the actual physical Kaaba wall. And I believe it is in the time of Umar or Uthman عنهمah, that they moved it away because of the crowds and how busy it was becoming, that people were trying to pray there but also make tawaf. And so they moved it to its current position where it is today and Allah knows best. that Ibrahim makes is for the city of Mecca. And we know that the Prophet when he came to Medina made dua for Medina and said, Oh Allah, I ask you for Medina as Ibrahim asked for Mecca. He said, Provide its inhabitants with fruits 
The commentary, the translation that we have here is the fruits being provided by the Ta'if caravan from Syria. That's not actually what a Suyuti says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Suyuti says, Naqlu Ta'ifi min al-Sham. He says, and this is the position of, you know, it's mentioned in some of the narrations in the books of Tafsir al-Baghavi and others mention it, that Allah responded by taking Ta'if, which was originally in al-Sham, and moving it to where it is currently closer towards the city of Mecca. That's what he means. It's not about a caravan that came and brought food. It's removing the actual city from Sham to uh, to Mecca. And they say because Mecca, as we know, the Hijaz, Mecca, Medina, Jeddah is an arid, desert, dry, hot land. Whereas Ta'if is different, it's in the mountains, despite its proximity and being in that region. It is mountainous, there's flowers, there's fruits, it's cooler, it's nicer. So it doesn't go with the general you know, geography of that land, it was taken. And Allah Azza wa knows best, but that seems to be far fetched and Allah knows best. It is not an authentic narration. But it seems to be one of those um, traditions that have just been passed down. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But that's what he's referring to. So it's not a caravan. It is actually the physical removal of a city from a sham to closer to Mecca in response to this dua of Ibrahim فَأُمَتِّعُهُ is the qira'ah of Ibn Amir. And everyone else recites فَأُمَتِّعُهُ And that is an amazing dua and one that we should always be making and conscious of when we do our good deeds. If these two prophets of Allah are building the Kaaba by the instruction of Allah Azza wa Jal and they're making this dua, then everyone else has more reason to do so. And it's reported of the companions about this month of Ramadan that when they would begin for the next six months, they would make dua that Allah accepts their deeds from it. And that is therefore an established principle in our religion. Meaning, from our descendants, not all of them, because Allah said, لا The wrongdoers from your descendants won't be given that reward. So now, and this is from the beauty of the Quran, when the prophets were corrected or told something, they would immediately change and reflect that within their speech and within their conduct and character and their du'as. So Allah said to him, not all of your children. Now when he's making du'a, he doesn't say, oh Allah, grant it to all of my children. He says, وَمِن ذُرِّيَّتِنَا and from our children, meaning those that you have favored upon the path of righteousness. As the Prophet would do when he would ask Allah to forgive him a hundred times a day or seventy times in a sitting. And the Prophet would do that even though Allah had forgiven him for his sins as a means of showing to people the importance of making istighfar. And istighfar has many benefits, not just the forgiveness of sins, but it opens Allah's blessings and increases people in their provision and has many other blessings and benefits to it as well. Oh, 
to make dua to Allah Azza wa Jal that he brings out from our children, our grandchildren, our offspring, someone who would serve this religion. Ibrahim Islam makes his dua and Allah Azza wa Jal answers by giving him the Prophet Wasallam from his offspring. For us to make dua of Allah from my offspring, from our children, we want people who will serve your religion, people who will honor your religion, people who will learn and teach your religion. It is an amazing dua and Allah Azza wa Jal may answer that dua in one, two, three, ten, twenty generations times. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all generous. that encapsulates the Prophet Ibrahim in his verse 131. Allah said to him, submit, and he said, I have submitted. Nothing more. And it is an amazing verse in terms of its brevity, but also in terms of its power. is to do something once, Wassa is to do it multiple times, meaning that he advised them once, but not only once, he continued to advise them about Tawheed, about worshipping Allah. And that is one of the most important things that a parent can advise their children with, and something that we often, something that we often neglect. When we advise our children to pray, or to be good, or to speak the truth, or to be generous, or any other thing, one of the things that we fail to do is to emphasize to them the importance that all of that then is secondary to this one issue and that is to worship Allah alone and to turn to him in worship alone and if Ibrahim does this with his children time and time and time again then who are we to think that it's something which is unnecessary for us when the Jews said do you not know that when he died Yaqub commanded his sons to follow Judaism this ayah was revealed from the Indian M which makes it question 
أم كنتم شهداء إذ حضر يعقوب الموت إذ قال لبنيه ما تعبدون من بعدي ولي فزنت من لكن يعقوب لسكي صنص وأولي واشد رمضا من أحمدات قالوا نعبد إلهك وإله آبائك إبراهيم وإسماعيل وإسحاق إلها واحدا Ismail is counted as the forefather because the uncle is counted as the father. And Ishaq, one God, and positive for your God. We are Muslims submitted to him. This is what actually happened. Those Jews were not present and they have ascribed to him something which he did not say. Ismail السلام, is mentioned as Yaqub in, in, when he speaks about his forefathers. Ishaq is his father. Ibrahim is his grandfather. Ismail is his uncle. And it's saying here that the uncle is counted like the father because the Prophet ﷺ told us that in the hadith, The uncle, the paternal, paternal uncle of a person is similar to their father. That is the hadith of Al-Bukhari Muslim. That referring to Ibrahim, Yaqub and their sons was a community which has long since passed away, surpassing God. It has what it earned, means by their actions, meaning the repayment for that. You, O Jews, have what you have earned. You will not be questioned about what they did. As they will not be questioned about what you did. This sentence stresses what was said before it. And how often we need to remind ourselves of this verse. Allah will not question us about other people and Allah will not question other people about us. And how often we forget this within our daily lives when we point at others' faults and their mistakes and their problems and forget our own shortcomings and our and the oppression the oppression that we commit and the and the shortfallings on our part. Allah Azza wa says, You are not responsible for others and they are not responsible for you. And that is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stresses time and time again. وَإِنْ تَوَلَّوْا فَإِنَّمَا هُمْ فِي شِرْ 
Allah. I think the translation of the verse here in English is um, not so clear. Uh, Abdul Harim's translation I think is better. He says, our life takes its color from Allah. And who can give a better color than Allah Azzawajal to our lives? And what it's referring to here, sabr, sabr means to dye something. When you dye cloth in Arabic, it is called sabr. So when you have white cloth and you dye it into red or yellow or whatever other color, it is called sabr. And At-Tabi says it's taken from the word that is used of baptism in Christianity. When they put someone into water and they bring them out, it is in Arabic called sabr. And the reason why Allah Azzawajal mentions this is because this is how Islam should permeate us to the very inner depths and recesses. Once a cloth is dyed with color, it's impossible to extract that color from that cloth once again, once it has dried. It is a now part and parcel, permeated that cloth in every way, shape and form. And that is how the Muslim should be. It shouldn't just be apparent, it shouldn't just be by speech, it shouldn't just be by action. It should be within heart, speech and action. Everything we do, with every form that we do it in, that is how we do, how we should behave as Muslims. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jal uses this wording, Sibghatallah. So yes, literally it means Sibgha, which means colouring. But what it means is, as a Siyuti Rahimahullah Ta'ala mentions. The Jews said to the Muslims, we are the people of the first book and our Qibla is over and there are no prophets among the Arabs. If Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was a prophet, he would have been one of us. And then this ayah was revealed. قُلْ أَتُحَادُّونَنَا بِاللَّهِ وَهُوَ رَبُّنَا وَرَبُّكُمْ Say meaning to them, do you argue with us about Allah who has chosen a prophet from among the Arabs? In his hour we wrote and we wrote and so he can choose anyone he wills. وَلَنَا أَعْمَالُنَا وَلَكُمْ أَعْمَالُكُمْ we have our actions meaning for which we will be repaid, and you have your actions for which you will be repaid. It is not past possible that our actions may entitle us to in our bosom. We act for him alone. We are sincerely devoted to Allah in our actions and the deen as you are not. So we are not entitled to be chosen. The question implies disapproval. The three sentences describe different states. What he means by that, the three sentences describe different states, I think it is a mistaken translation. Imam Sayyidina says, He means that these are the three states of the same people, not that there are three different states, meaning that Allah is saying, uh, Do you argue with us whilst Allah is our Lord and your Lord, and whilst we have our actions and you have your actions, and whilst we, uh, we worship Him alone? So it is not three different states, it is the same state. They are saying it three times, three different things about the same people. Whilst all of these things are true, how can we then claim this? Uh, 
better for Allah. This means, of course, that Allah is better. Allah disassociated Ibrahim from them, saying, Ibrahim, you're neither a Jew nor a Christian. Those mentioned with him followed him. وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِنْ شَهَادَةً Who could do great wrong to someone hides from people? The evidence has been given by Allah. This means that no one does greater wrong than someone who conceals the evidence they have. And the first of those Jews who concealed the testimony of Allah in the Torah, in the Torah about Ibrahim from the Hanabiya, natural being. Allah is not unaware of what you do. This is that was the community which has long since passed away. It had what it earned, you have what you have earned. You will not be questioned about what they did. This has already been covered in the commentary on Ayah 124 above. سيقول السفهاء من الناس ما ولاهم عن قبلتهم التي كانوا عليها. The fools, meaning the ignorant among the people, meaning the Jews and idolaters who asked, what has made them, meaning the prophets and believers, turn around in the direction they used to face when the Qibla changed from Jerusalem to Mecca. The fact that the future prophets will is used in will ask indicates that there existed a report from the unseen about something which had not yet occurred. Say, both east and west belong to Allah. All directions belong to Allah, and He commands any direction He likes and cannot be opposed. He guides whoever He wills to a straight path, meaning the Deen of Islam. Some people are guided through that. So Allah Azza moves on to the story of the changing of the Qibla from Jerusalem, where it was originally, until to the Kaaba. And this is a story that speaks therefore about testing the believers in terms of their iman and their belief in Allah Azza wa Jalla and how well they submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jalla shows us the clear distinction and difference between the way of some of those people of the scriptures that Allah has been speaking about and the way that they reacted to their prophets and the way that the companions radiallahu anhum ajma'een did so. Uh, and that reminds me, I gave a question yesterday that no one reminded me about. And that was... Uh, why does Allah Azza wa Jalla at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah say Al-Kitab? That is the book. When He's referring to this is the book, this is the Quran. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions elsewhere in the Quran, Inna Hadha Al-Quran. This is the Quran. How do we reconcile between those two? How? And both meanings are correct. That and this are both correct. And there are a number of responses to that the scholars mentioned. Firstly, the this in or the meaning of this is referring to its words. The actual Quran is close to us. And that meaning that its status, its position is high. And therefore it is further away. That's the first reconciliation. The book itself is close, but its status and its virtues and its position is high. And so therefore it is the dhalika. The second one that is chosen by At-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala is that even though its wordings are close to us, uh, or rather its, its, yeah, its wordings are close to us, its meaning, or the wordings are close to us, its meaning resonates further away. And the example that he gives is if I were to speak to someone and say, and you remind me of something you said, and I say, yes, that's what you said. I don't say this is what you said, I say that is what you said. Because even though your words were in the past, the meaning, or your words are close to me now, your, the meaning of what you said still resonates because it has a greater meaning. Does that make sense? Or no? No, okay. Imam al-Tabir says that this is referring to the words. And the that to the meaning. 
this is the words and that is the meaning. Because even once the words finish, the meaning still resonates. And that is the difference between the hadha and the dhalika. And the third way that we combine between the two is that it is a well-known form of literacy in the Arabic language that they would change this and that. They are interchangeable. They use this for that and that for this. And that then takes me on to today's question, which is, قُلْ لِلَّهِ الْمَشْرِقُ وَالْمَغْرِبِ In verse 142, say both east and west belong to Allah. East is singular, west is singular. In other parts of the Quran, Allah says, رَبُّ الْمَشْرِقَيْنِ وَرَبُّ الْمَغْرِبَيْنِ The Lord of the two easts and the two wests in the dual form. And in other parts of the Quran, Allah says, فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِرَبِّ الْمَشَارِقِ وَالْمَغَارِبِ He takes an oath by the Lord of the easts in the plural and the wests in the plural. How do we reconcile between this? Singular form, dual form and plural form. And inshallah ta'ala, if someone remembers to remind me tomorrow, I will give you the answer. Okay. This way, by God into it, we have made you, Musa Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, good and just, so that you may act as witnesses against mankind on the day of rising that the messenger conveyed the message, and the messenger as a witness against you that he conveyed it. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الْقِبَلَةَ الَّتِي كُنْتَ عَلَيْهَا إِلَّا لِنَعْلَمَ مِنْ يَتَّبِعُ الرَّسُولَ So this is the story of the changing of the Qibla and Allah Azza wa this is mentioned in more detail in Sahih Bukhari, the hadith of Al-Bara ibn Azib radiyallahu anhu and there are many benefits to be taken from it. From them is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray as, as a Suyuti rahimahullah mentions here towards um, the, the, the Qibla originally was towards Jerusalem from the moment that prayer was established and legislated until some 16-17 months after the Hijrah. But the question is, why didn't the Prophet ﷺ look towards Allah Azza wa changing the Qibla in the Meccan period? Why does this only happen once he comes to Medina? It is, as he says in his commentary, that the Prophet ﷺ, even though he was told to face Jerusalem in Mecca, he would always pray by the Kaaba. So the Kaaba would always be, be, be between him and Jerusalem. So if Jerusalem was to be ahead of me, he'd have the Kaaba in front of him, and then he'd be praying towards the direction of Jerusalem. Obviously, once he comes to Medina, that is no longer possible. And that is why it becomes more of a pressing issue and the Prophet ﷺ will look towards Allah and ask or wish that it should be changed and then Allah makes that change. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you look at verse 143, changes somewhat the, the, uh, the commentary or some, somewhat the, the story. And Allah interjects here, You are the most middlemost nation. And, it's, and one of the benefits of mentioning that here is what is considered to be balanced in Islam and what is considered to be the middle path nation is what Allah considers to be balanced and what the Prophet ﷺ considered to be the middle path. Balance is not what I think or what other people of society think or what we think should be balanced between what we consider to be extremes. Extreme is what Allah considers to be extreme. And balance is what Allah considers to be balance. And so therefore the Prophet ﷺ is being told and we are being told by extension that from the, the attributes of this ummah is that we are people who are balanced middle path nation because we follow the commands of Allah and the Prophet Allah will not let your prayers go to waste. The companion said in the authentic narration, O Messenger of Allah, what of those of our brothers who have passed away before the changing of the qibla, their salah, their prayers, and so Allah revealed this portion of the verse, it won't go to waste. Indeed, the recognition of Muhammad is even more immediate. 
وإن فريقا منهم لا يكتمون الحق وهم يعلمون Yeah, a group of them knowingly concealed the truth came up with the scripture despite their full knowledge of it. الحق من ربك فلا تكونن من الممترين The truth is from your Lord. There are no family among the doubters. Do not be among those who doubt in any matter. This is more effective than just do not doubt. Each community person takes their particular direction, Qibla, to which they turn in their prayer and remembrance of their Lord. So raise each other to the good, meaning by hastening to act to acts of obedience and hoping for their acceptance. Wherever you are, Allah will bring you all together, meaning on the day of rising and repay you for your deeds. Truly Allah has power over all things. Wherever you come from, when you have been on a journey, turn your face to the sacred mosque. This is certainly the truth from your Lord. Allah is not unaware of what you do. Whether it's Ta'malun, what you do, and Ya'malun, what they do. The instruction to face the sacred mosque is reiterated to clarify that the ruling that the ruling to do this applies in traveling and in all other situations. Statement the last sentence, instruction to face the sacred mosque. It seems like it's part of the next verse, 150. The commentary that begins the next verse. So what he's saying there, and this is the commentary that I was saying, that the repetition of this, Allah says three times, face the Qibla, face al-Masjid al-Haram, face al-Masjid al-Haram, face al-Masjid three times in the last passage it's been mentioned. And why is it being mentioned? Why is it being repeated three times? The scholars of tafsir have different approaches. For example, al-Shawtani rahimahullah ta'ala says that it's uh, repeated three times to emphasize the abrogation. He says it was the first abrogation revealed in Islam. The changing of the Qibla is the first ruling to be abrogated. So because it's new and it's the first time he repeats, Allah repeats it three times for emphasis. That's the position of a shawkani Others, like uh, Ar-Razi in his tafsir, he said that the first time means that for those around the Kaaba, you face the Kaaba. The second repetition is for those in Mecca, that you face the direction of the Kaaba. And the third one is for everyone else in the world, that you face that direction. So obviously the closer you are, the more precise your direction of the Qibla. If you're in the Haram itself, the Masjid, you face the Qibla directly, the Kaaba. If you're in Mecca, you face the Masjid. And if you're outside of Mecca, you face the direction of Mecca. And others, like Al-Qurtubi and his position, Rasyuti chooses, says that the first one is for the people of Mecca generally, which includes people that are seeing the Kaaba, not seeing the Kaaba. The second is for everyone else. And the third are for the travelers, because as we mentioned before, if you're traveling, then there's a slight different ruling on optional prayers that you don't necessarily always have to be facing the Qibla. But that's how they're trying to reconcile between the repetition that is mentioned in the Qur'an, because the position of the scholars is that anything that is mentioned in the Qur'an in terms of repetition, isn't just there in terms of being excessive. It's not just excess, extra. It is there for a reason and a wisdom. And so they do their utmost to determine what that wisdom may be. And Allah knows best. So that people, meaning the Jews and the idolaters, will have no argument against you. Meaning no 
programs for other users that tend to learn Fiddler. This is said to negate the positions which have been taken by the users by developers regarding Fiddler. The views have been saying to deny the ideas that follow that Fiddler. And the developers have been saying you tend to follow through and to borrow a basic different Fiddler jury. Except for those among them who do wrong by a bit of their stubbornness. They then said that the Prophet only chose Mecca because he declined to the deen of his ancestors. The sentence means, no one will speak against you except those people. And then you should not fear them regarding the pouring the bag of shade of Fidla, but rather fear me by obeying my commands. And so that I may complete my blessing upon you by guiding you to the same influence of your deen, so that hopefully you will be guided to the truth. For this, complete it. We sent a messenger to you from among you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that is the correct meaning. So to requite meaning to reward is one of the the results of Allah's remembering us. But what is mentioned in the hadith is that Allah Azza does remember us. It is not just the reward that you get for remembering subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah remembers us, and that's what is mentioned in the hadith al Qudsi that is authentic. So Allah in the previous verse mentions shukr and gratitude and thanking Allah and in this verse patience and the two of them as we know as mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet are both important issues and both important aspects of our religion. Those who, when disaster strikes them, say, We belong to Allah and we will return. 
meaning we are the property and slaves of Allah, and He can do what He wills with us. We return to Him in the next world, He will requite us. In the hadith, if anyone says this is an affliction, Allah will repay him and give him a better repayment. It is reported, reported that the Prophet went out and he said this, Aisha said, it is only a lamb. He said, everything that emerges in the day is affliction. This hadith is, is a weak hadith mentioned by Abu Dawood in his Marasin. But what is authentic is that the Prophet ﷺ told us, however, says, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un. Allahumma ajumni fi musibati wa khlufni khayran min. Oh Allah, reward me in this trial of mine and give me something better as a replacement. Allah will give them something better in the replacement. And in the hadith of Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she says that when my husband Abu Salama passed away, I thought to myself, who could be better than him? But I made this dua. And Allah gave me the Prophet in his place, meaning as a husband. Those are the ones who have blessings, meaning of forgiveness and mercy and comfort from their Lord. They are the ones who are guided to what is right. So anyone who goes on Hajj to the house or does Umrah and does no wrong means then in going back and forth stands between them. The root, the root meaning of going on Hajj is to aim for and doing Umrah means visiting. You go between them seven times. This was revealed when the Muslims disliked doing that because the people of the Jahiliyyah used to do it and they were idols on them which they used to touch. Ibn Abbas said that Islam is not an obligation since removal of sin implies choice. A Shafi'i and others said that it is a pillar and the Prophet made it clear that it is obligatory when he said Allah has prescribed Sabbath to you, it's about obeying him. He said, begin with what Allah began with, meaning Salah at Salah, specified non Muslim. If anyone spontaneously does good, meaning any good he does which does not involve him, such as tawaf or anything else, Allah is thankful and will show gratitude for his action by rewarding him for it. So this is the verse that Allah Azza wa revealed concerning a group of the Ansar in Medina who felt reservation of making sa'i between Safa and Marwa because before Islam there were idols on them and they would go and they would worship those idols as they went through those mountains. And so Allah Azza wa said to them, there is no harm in you doing it. Meaning, not meaning that you don't have to do it, that it's optional to do the sa'i, meaning that there is no harm, as in there is no sin upon you to do it now that those idols have been removed and you are worshipping Allah Azza wa And that is clearly mentioned in the hadith in Al-Bukhari of Aisha radiallahu anha when her nephew Urwa ibn Zubair came and said the same thing, oh, oh, mother of the believers, does it mean that we don't have to make sa'i? She said, no, that's not what it means. This is the context of the hadith. And that's what Imam Al-Tabri rahimahullah ta'ala, the opinion of Ibn Abbas al-Siyuti mentions, that it's optional, even though some of the scholars of the past did hold that opinion. He says, Al-Tabri, that it's not I think it is far-fetched that Ibn Abbas would hold that opinion anhuma, because Ibn Abbas is the one who narrates the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that indeed Allah has obligated upon you to make sa'i between Safa and Marwa. So then for him to take that hadith and say it's optional seems far-fetched as Imam al-Tabri said. But nevertheless there were some scholars of that opinion but the majority and the correct opinion is that it is a pillar, it is an obligation of the hajj. 
What is referring to here as the ayah of stoning and the description of the Prophet is that they found the description of the Prophet in their scriptures and they changed it. And the ayah to Rajman is mentioned in the hadith of Al Bukhari that someone committed adultery uh, amongst them, meaning the Jewish community in the time of the Prophet and the Prophet decreed amongst them that they should be stoned. And they said that that's not something which we find in our scripture. Abdullah ibn Salam said, O Messenger of Allah, and he was a, a, a man who was well versed in the scriptures before he accepted Islam. He said, There is something that we find in the scripture, but it's something which we ignore. The Prophet told them to bring their Torah. And so they came with the Torah and they covered a part of it as they were reading. The Abdullah ibn Salam said to them, Remove your hand. And when they did, he found the verse concerning stoning. And so the Prophet praised Allah. So that is what he's referring to in terms of the ayat of stoning. Except for those who repent and turn away from that and put things right by acting righteously and make things they have concealed clear. I turn towards them and accept their repentance. I am the ever relenting, the most merciful to the believers. As for those who disbelieve and bow while still unbelievers, the curse of Allah is upon them and that of the angels and all mankind. They deserve that both in this world and the next. The curse is said to be universal for that of believers. They will be under it, meaning the curse and the fire, forever. The punishment will not be lightened for them, or even the blink of an eye. They will be granted no reprieve, enabling them to repent or utter excuses. This ayah is revealed when they said, Describe the Lord to us. Your God, He deserves to be worshipped by you with one God, since it is none like Him in His essence or His attributes. There is no God but Him. He is the All Merciful, the Most Merciful. They ask the Prophet for everything, and the next ayah was revealed. That is the commentary of the next verse, 164. And so, as Siyuti never says, the next ayah was revealed, he says they asked the Prophet for evidences, and so Allah said. But because they misunderstood the commentary, they have added the next verse was revealed. So, it is part of 164. In the creation of the heavens and the earth, and all the wonders they contain, and the alternation of the night and day, the coming and going, shortening and lengthening, and the heavy ships which sail and do not sink in the seas to people's benefit with regard to commerce and transport. And the water, meaning rain, which Allah sends down from the sky, by which He brings the earth to life to the times when it was dead and dry. And 
scatters about in creatures of every kind and you've by eating the plants or dusting the, the air and the varying direction of the wind. The change of year to north and south and of both hot and cold. And the clouds subservient between heaven and earth, driven by the command of Allah, whoever he wishes. The signs which indicate oneness for people who use their intellect and reflect. So when they ask for a sign of Allah and who is Allah, Allah is saying, isn't it enough that you see his creation, the heavens and the earth and the rain and the mountains and the seas and the oceans and everything that Allah has placed in this, isn't that sufficient as a proof to Allah's existence and to his right to be worshipped? Some people set up equals whom idols to Allah, of them Loving and esteeming them and humbling themselves to them as they should love Allah. That those who believe have more love for Allah. That those who believe have more love for Allah than the others have for their idols because they do not turn from Him at all in any state. Whereas when the unbelievers are suffering hardship, then they turn to Allah. If only we, Muhammad sallallahu could see. Meaning, no, those who do wrong by making others equal to Allah at the time when they see the punishment. Then you will see something truly terrible, and that is because truly all strength, all power, and sovereignty belongs to Allah. And that Allah is severe in punishment. If only they knew in this world about the punishment of Allah, and that power belongs to Allah alone. But that will only be seen on the day of rising. They will never have made anything else equal to Allah in their sight. And that is a question we have to ask ourselves. Are we in our love for Allah Azza wa greater than the love of those people who used to worship idols besides Allah Azza wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that the believers are greater in their love for Allah because they worship Allah every time. As opposed to those disbelievers who used to worship their idols in times of ease and Allah alone in times of hardship. But how many Muslims are there today who worship Allah other than Allah and call to other than Allah, make dua to other than Allah in times of ease and in times of hardship? And in that sense, they are even worse than those people of Mecca who at least would acknowledge Allah's power in times of hardship. So Allah Azza is saying that from the attributes of the believers is that they are people who love Allah more than anything else, as we know from the hadith of the Prophet And they therefore sacrifice to Allah and are willing to sacrifice for Allah more than they are willing to sacrifice for anything else or anyone else. When those who are followed, meaning believers, disown those who follow them and deny that they misguided them, and they see the punishment and the connection between them is cut. The connection of kinship and love between them in this world being what is severed. The connection as bad, meaning the means of attaining good and worshipping Allah or accumulating deeds, will be cut off. So it's deeds and it's uh, other people that can benefit them and it's it's their stations that they could have attained, all of that will be cut off from them. Those who followed will say, if only we could have another chance, meaning to return to this world, we would disown them, meaning those they followed, just as they have disowned us today. In that way, Allah will show them their evil actions when they see the severity of his punishment and disown one another as a cause of anger 
Those people who forbade eating certain animals, it is said that they were some of the tribes of the Arabs, Thaqif and Khuza'a and others, that they forbade this upon themselves. And Allah said that it's not allowed for you to make something which Allah has made halal into something which is haram. And that is one of the most common proofs or justifications that the people used to give to their prophets. We found our forefathers doing something and we're only following their path. Just as today, unfortunately, even in our ummah, we have people who when you guide them or tell them that what they're doing is wrong, they're like, well, this is what we found our elders and our forefathers doing. Allah says, perhaps their forefathers didn't know, they didn't understand, they weren't guided. So it is not a proof and a justification in and of itself. Then there are those animals which have not been slaughtered directly. This is a general rule and the Sunnah makes clear the specific 
So this is a verse that has many fiqh rulings and its places we need to study in the books of fiqh. But just to pick up on a couple of the points, Allah is saying that these are the things that are haram. And then Asiyuti mentions that there are exceptions to this. So dead meat meaning meat that hasn't been slaughtered correctly. And the exception to that would be fish, which doesn't need to be slaughtered, uh, seafood, and locusts. And then he says, and those people who don't commit crime or go to excess. Basically, the position of some of the scholars is that if a person intends to go out into the desert, for example, and run out of food and water and, and intentionally put them into that place, intentionally put themselves into that position of necessity so that they can eat something haram, they're not allowed to do it. So except for those in times of necessity, in times of necessity, if you're on the doorstep of death, what becomes haram, what is usually haram becomes halal. But if someone went out with that intention, that they wanted to make it halal, and therefore they don't take precautions, they don't take food, they don't take water, it doesn't apply to them. That's what Allah Azza wa is saying. And then you have the position of Imam al-Shafi'i, and as we said, al-Siyuti and al-Mahalli, both of them are scholars of the Shafi'i madhab. Their position is, and like the Hanbali position as well, that if someone is traveling on a journey that in which they are sinful, they're going to sin, they're going to steal, they're going to do haram, they're going to sin and disobey Allah, is it allowed for them to take what Allah has made of concessions, of prayer and fasting, Allah's given concessions for the traveller, is it allowed for them to take those concessions if the whole purpose of their journey is to disobey Allah anyway? Their position, the Hanbali Mather position, is that it's not allowed. Because their whole intention is corrupted anyway, so therefore they are in no position to take what Allah has made as a concession for them. And Allah knows best. <laughs> Those who the Jews consider what Allah has sent down in the book, which includes the mention of the Prophet وسلم, and set it cheap in exchange for the things of this world and out of fear of being surpassed instead of destroying it. Take nothing into their bellies but the fire, because that will be where they end up. Allah says, How steadfast or how these people wish to be thrown into the fire. 
And it's almost as if Allah is amazed at them. And that's what Asyuti is saying. This expresses the amazement. Not of the believers, but even of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah isn't amazed because He doesn't know, but we know from the Sunnah that the Prophet mentioned that Allah Azza wa Jal is amazed, meaning that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is amazed by some of the actions of the people and His creation, not because of a lack of knowledge of them, but to show us how extreme it is. And from them is the Hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Allah is amazed by. How sometimes his slaves despair and how quickly their situation changes. Meaning that they despair in times of hardship, even though relief always comes after hardship. And they have, are always going through different situations in life. And so they are constantly happy and sad and happy and sad and angry and going through all of these emotions. Even though they know that after periods of difficulty will come ease. And Allah knows best. <laughs> which was mentioned about the slipping fire into their bellies and what it mentioned after that, is because Allah has sent down the book of the truth with truth. And then they differed with it, believing some of it and disbelieving some which were concealed. And those who differ with the book in that way are entrenched in hostility and opposition and are blocking the truth. This is generally taken as referring to the Jews, but it is also said to refer to the idolaters in as much as they claim that some of it was poetry, some sorcery, and some superstition. And Imam Ibn Kathir, verse 177, the one that we're going on to now, he says that this verse contains some of the most fundamental principles of our religion and some of its greatest etiquettes. Goodness does not lie in turning your faces and leaving the prayer to the east or to, or to the west. This was revealed to refute the Jews and Christians as they claimed. Father, those with true goodness, whereas as it is and felt, and those who believe in Allah and the last day, the angels, the book, meaning scripture, generally, generically, and the prophets, and who, despite their love for it, give away their wealth to their relatives and to orphans and the very poor, and to travelers and beggars, and to set slaves free. Those with kitab are contract and captive. And who established the prayer and paid, meaning the obligatory zakat, and voluntary alms giving. Those who honor their contracts, both with Allah and with the people that they make them. And are steadfast in poverty and in illness and in battle, times of hardship in general, and fighting in the way of Allah in particular. Those with this description are the people who are true, meaning in their belief or truly deserve to be called good. They are the people who are truly God-fearing and fear Allah. The recitation of Bar that he says, read as Bir and Bar, Bar is a Qira'a Shadha. There's not a recitation that is accepted or used. It is one of those peculiar recitations. O oh, you who believe, equal retaliation is 
describing a blight in scripture and actually communicates what people can do. الْحُكْمُ بِالْحُرِّ وَالْعَبْدُ بِالْعَبْدِ وَالْأُنْثَى بِالْأُنْثَى Freeman is plural for freeman, and not plural for slave. Slave for slave, female for female. The Sunnah makes it clear that a man may be killed in retaliation for a woman. They are considered on a par in the deen. A Muslim, even a slave, cannot be killed in retaliation for a free unbeliever. فَمَنْ عُبِيَ لَهُ مِنْ أَهْلِهِ شَيْءٌ If someone is absolved by his brother, for instance, when a killer is forgiven by the brother of the dead person, he thereby foregoes retaliation. Blood money, the fact that this is indefinite, may imply foregoing some of it, or that one or some of the relatives pardoned the perpetrator should be claimed by the dead person's relative from the killer through correctness, without any harshness in absence of the blood money. And it should be paid by the killer to the, to the relative of the deceased with goodwill. Clearly, this is one of the rulings of Islam regarding the penal punishment of committing murder, which is taken out by the Muslim judge in the Muslim country. And what he says here is that if one of the relatives pardons the perpetrator, then it's forgiven. That is by ijma', by consensus of the scholars. If a person is killed, for example, and the people that would inherit from that person are three brothers, so they are all equal in terms of their relation. And two of them want him to be executed. And one of them says, no, I am willing to forgive. That one person forgiving takes away that execution from that person. So they have to be in agreement. If they are equal, even if one says, I don't want him executed, it is removed from him. And that is what he's mentioning here. Allah uses the term brother in order to encourage forgiveness and also to show him that even him does not rupture the brotherhood of faith. The fact that correctness follows absolving means that either one or the other of them is a victory. That is one of the positions of Shafi'i. The second is that if the parents do not specify either, it is nothing. In that case, the killer must pay the money to the dead person's heir without delay or reduction. That judgment of retaliation and pardoning the killer in return for blood money is an easement and a mercy to you from your Lord. Since he gave you scope in that, and neither of them is imposing you in the way that retaliation is imposed on the Jews and blood money on the Christians. Anyone who goes beyond the limits, meaning if the relative kills a murderer after this, meaning the pardon for pardoning him, will receive a painful punishment in the next world with the fire, or in this world by being killed. It is life and great deterrence for you in retaliation to flogging dangerous people with intellect. Because if someone knows that he will be killed, then he will be deterred from killing and preserve his own life as well as that of the person he wants to kill. And it was prescribed so that perhaps he would be God-fearing and so that killing may be avoided out of fear of retaliation. So these verses, these passages, Allah Azza wa is telling us about the, the etiquettes that we should have as Muslims. Those people who submit to Allah and worship Allah and the different acts of worship that if we abide by them and perform them, they will increase us in our iman. And so Allah Azza wa has already mentioned prayer. He will now soon mention fasting, then he will mention hajj, and later on in Surah Al-Baqarah we have zakah and charity as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now goes on to speak about in the next couple of verses before speaking about fasting, the issue of leaving a will behind. The issue of leaving a will behind. And its relationship to these issues of etiquettes is that it is one of integrity. These are issues of trust. The way that you deal with someone if they've committed a murder or they've done some harm to you or they've oppressed you or you're leaving a will behind or you're a witness to someone else's testimony. And likewise then in fasting, 
the relationship between all of this is that these are acts of worship or acts in which a person needs to be trustworthy and have integrity because fasting is one of those acts of worship that if a person wanted to hide and eat and drink they could do so without anyone being the wiser it is therefore based upon that concept of having that understanding that Allah knows and Allah hears and Allah sees and therefore we have within ourselves that integrity, that taqwa, that fear of Allah Azza wa Jal that we wouldn't repress and that we wouldn't change the facts and that we wouldn't try to hide. So Allah is saying that the ruling used to be that if a person is going to die, they can write an inheritance or a will and give it to their close family members. I can give all my wealth to my parents, to my wife, to my children. And other people are therefore excluded. That was abrogated later on. What Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then did was set people's share in inheritance to fixed shares that are known and mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. And that means that you have a portion of a third of your estate that you can give as a will. With the condition that when you give that third, it cannot be to those people who will inherit from you in those shares. They have a right to your wealth anyway. Your children, your parents, sometimes your siblings, depending on who is alive at that time. So I can give a third of my estate to the masjid. I can give it to a poor person. But I can't give it to my son to favor him over the rest of my children. Unless all of the rest of them agree. Everyone else that would inherit agrees to that. And so this is what it means here by it being abrogated later on by the rulings of inheritance. This is a verse that shows as a proof that the previous nations used to worship Allah in the acts of worship that we are familiar with, with perhaps some changes. 
they would pray as we pray because Allah mentions about Dawood his prayer or the Prophet rather mentions about his prayer they would fast as we fast although some of those nuances may be different for them but the general act of worship of fasting they would fast as we fast they would make hajj as we make hajj they would give charity as we give charity some of the specifics may differ but as the act of worship in its generality in its legislation it was prescribed for them also So basically at the beginning of Islam people were given a choice either they fast or they can feed someone instead of fasting they had a choice so some people instead of fasting they would feed one poor person per day as today you can do in certain situations for those people who are unable to physically fast in certain circumstances that was later abrogated and it became obligatory for everyone to fast and the feeding was only for those people who are physically unable incapable of fasting says the night of power because Allah says elsewhere in the Quran we revealed it on the night of decree Of 
thank Allah greatness when you have finished fasting for the guidance He has given you to fill us up to the end. So that hopefully you will be thankful to Allah for that. When a group asked the Prophet وسلم, if our Lord is near so that we may speak with Him, this was revealed. وَإِذَا سَأَلَكَ عِبَادِي عَنِّي فَإِنِّي قَرِيبٌ If my slaves ask you about me, I am near to them through my knowledge. So inform them that أُذِيبُ دَعْوَةَ الدَّاعِ إِذَا دَعَاهِ I answer the call of the caller when he calls on me by giving them what he asks for. فَلْيَسْتَجِيبُوا لِي وَلْيُؤْمِنُوا بِي لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْشُدُونَ they should therefore respond to me when I call on them to obey me and believe in me and continue to believe in me so that hopefully they will be rightly guided. And this verse is one of the strongest proofs that the etiquette of fasting or from the etiquette of fasting is to make increased dua. And that whilst you are fasting at any point during the day, but especially towards the end of the day as you break the fast, it is a time for dua to be accepted. Allah Azza wa says, if they ask you concerning me, tell them that I am near through my knowledge. Because the aqeed of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah is that Allah Azza is above his throne in a man which befits his majesty. So when he says that he is close, he is close through his knowledge, through his hearing, through his seeing, he sees and hears and knows all. But he himself subhanahu wa ta'ala is above his throne. And he descends as he pleases to the lowest heaven at certain times. But we don't have the belief that Allah is everywhere, that Allah is next to me and next to you and here and there. That is not a belief of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. On the night of the fast, it is lawful for you to have sexual relations with your wife with your wives. This was revealed to abrogate the prohibition at the beginning of Islam and it was forbidden to eat or drink after the Isha As in the hadith in Al-Bara ibn Asib radiallahu an in Sahih Bukhari, a companion with the name of Qais ibn Sirma from the companions of the Ansar. It is said concerning him because the the prohibition was that if you didn't eat after Maghrib and Isha time came in, then you couldn't eat until the following day's Maghrib. So you had to fast almost for 48 hours. This companion came home after a hard day's labor and he was tired and he was, he was, he was sleeping and his wife bought him food and she left him. But because he was so overcome with exhaustion, he passed out and he just fell asleep. And by the time he woke up, it was night time. So he couldn't eat and then the next day he had to work again. So that toll took its, that, that exhaustion and exertion took its toll upon him. And so Allah Azza wa made it easy for people and he revealed that during the night hours from Maghrib till Fajr, you may eat and drink and so on. Therefore be for you and you for them. The clothing has for a to their mutual embrace and the freedom of each of them for the other. Allah knows that you have been betraying yourselves, meaning by having intercourse during the night of fasting and other things. They apologize to the Prophet. And he has turned towards you and excused you and accepted their repentance. Now it is lawful for you, and you may have sexual intercourse with them, and seek what Allah has written for you. Meaning what Allah has allowed you of sexual intercourse, or decree for you of children. Eat and drink during the entire night, until you completely discern the white thread on the black thread of the true dawn, referring to the back of the night and whiteness of the dawn. 
then fulfill the fast from the first light of dawn until the night appears at the setting of the sun which marks the beginning of the night. وَلَا تُبَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَأَنْتُمْ عَادِلُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ But do not have sexual intercourse with them, meaning women, while you are in retreat, meaning doing itikaf in the mosques. No one in retreat is permitted to leave the mosque to have intercourse with his wife and then return. تِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ فَلَا تَقَرَضُوهَا These decrees are Allah's limits which he has defined for fasting. So do not go near them. The wives do not go near them, as far as the wives do not deceive them, which we find in the manner of hell. كَذَلِكَ يُبَيِّنُ اللَّهُ آيَاتٍ لِلنَّاسِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَتَّقُونَ In this way, does Allah make His signs clear to people so that hopefully they will be God-fearing and avoid the things He has prohibited. وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتُدْلُوا بِمَا إِلَّا الْحُكَّامِ Do not devour one another's property by false means, meaning by consuming one another's property by halal means, such as stealing and usurpation. Nor offer it to the judges as a bribe, bribing them to give judgment in your favor. Trying through crimes, you knowingly usurp a portion of other people's property, meaning taking it while knowing it's going to be false. They will ask you, meaning Muhammad about the present moon. Ahillah is a plural of Hilal. The present moon is the moon when it first appears and then it begins to increase in size. Since the moon does not remain in one state as the sun does. Say, meaning to them, they have set times. The last week is the plural of Miqat, for mankind and for the Hajj. Buy them people know the time for their crops and trade, and women count their periods by them. And fast when the break of the fast is done by them. The time of Hajj is also known by them. If the moon was always in the same state, these things would not have been known. It is not without use for you to enter houses by the back, meaning in Ihbal. The Meccan custom before Islam was to make an entrance by which they entered and left from the backs of their houses without leaving the door. They did that claiming it was without use to do so. And that is not just the Quraysh, it was the Ansar as well. In the hadith from Bukhari of Bara ibn Azib, he says this verse was revealed concerning us, the Ansar. If you would go for Hajj and we would return, they had this superstition or this belief that they couldn't enter through the front door of their houses. So they would enter through the rear entrances. They would jump over their walls and they would do so. And obviously their wives and, and the people at home would be surprised, but it was a belief that they had. And so Allah Azza wa says, that's not righteousness. But rather righteousness is to approach the door or the house in the way that it is meant to be approached from the front. So come to houses by the doors, meaning when in Ihram. And be fearful of Allah so that hopefully you will be successful. When the Prophet replied from the sacred mosque in the year of Hadidiyah, he made peace with the unbelievers on the basis that he would return the coming year during which they would leave Mecca for three days. So when the next year prepared for the promised Umrah, it was a fear that Quraysh would not abide by the agreement and he would fight them. The Muslims disliked the idea of fighting the idolaters in the, in the Haram, while they were in the Ihram or in the sacred mosque, and so the following ayat was revealed. وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا 
fight in the way of Allah and elevate Allah's deen against those who try to continue their allegiances. Do not, do not go beyond the limits by initiating the fighting. Allah does not love those who go beyond the limits. Allah does not love those who exceed what is prescribed for them. This was abrogated by this is the position of some of the scholars of tafsir. And the verse in Surah Tawbah is And another position amongst the scholars of tafsir chosen by Tabari is that the verse is not abrogated. And that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is still, uh, still applies that Allah doesn't like people to exceed the limits, even in jihad, even in fighting, there are strict limits of what is allowed and not allowed. And so therefore it's not something which has been abrogated. And that is the position of Imam Tabari rahimahullah and others. This verse in 195 with the hadith in the Tirmidhi of Yubal Ansari, the first portion, spend in the way of Allah. 
He says it was revealed concerning us the Ansar, once Islam had become strong and once Islam had become dominant. We said to one another, meaning just amongst us the Ansar, we said that we have spent our wealth in the path of Allah and we have fought and we have killed. So perhaps now is the time that we keep our wealth and we you know, build our lives and we save our money and we invest and so on and so forth. And so Allah Azza wa revealed this verse and He said to them, and spend in the way of Allah, meaning continue to spend as you have been doing, doing before. And that is uh, the, the sabab or the cause of revelation uh, as reported by Abu Ayyub al-Salik and there's an authentic hadith. وَأَحْسِنُوا إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah loves the good doers. Allah will reward those who do that. That is again a tafsir of what is the result of Allah's love. And that is a way of negating love from Allah Azza wa as an attribute of Allah, which is one of Allah's attributes that belong to Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a manner that He understands that befits His majesty, He loves subhanahu wa ta'ala as He becomes angry subhanahu wa ta'ala. And from the uh, results of that love is that Allah rewards and honors those that He loves subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> So this verse is referring to those people who make the intention to perform Hajj and Umrah and then are unable to do so, they're prevented by an enemy or by something that blocks their path from reaching the Haram. As with the Prophet ﷺ in the Treaty of Hudaybiyyah, when they went to perform Umrah, they were stopped. What is the ruling? Is that you offer a sacrifice, you shave your head and you come out of Ihram. That is the ruling as the Prophet ﷺ did and that is what Imam al-Shafi'i is saying rahimahullah and the difference of opinion is that should the sacrifice be sent to Mecca and sacrifice there or wherever you are that is the difference of opinion that Imam al-Shafi'i is being quoted about. Which basically is referring to now people in the state of Ihram have certain restrictions that apply on them such as removing hair, such as wearing normal clothing, such as perfume. But if someone must do so, as in the hadith of Ka'b ibn Ujrah radiallahu anhu, in the farewell hajj of the Prophet ﷺ, he had lice in his hair. And the Prophet ﷺ, because he had so much lice, he could see literally the lice falling from his head. The Prophet ﷺ said, I think your lice are, are harming you. He said, yes, O Messenger of Allah. He said, shave your head then, shave your hair. And then he told him to give this expiation and it is a choice. You either slaughter a sheep or you feed or you, um, or you sacrifice. Or you fast, sorry. Fast, sadaqa, or sacrifice. Yeah. 
Shaving without excuse, however, entails guilt and foul. The same ruling applies to people who have a valid excuse for breaking the conditions of their harm in other ways, such as by wearing perfume, clothes, or their own. Anyone who comes out of their harm because of harm and hajj, meaning someone who does a tanakkur and hajj, should make whatever sacrifice is reasonable. It's called tanakkur because he enjoys doing things normally forbidden during the hajj by coming out of their harm after completing umrah and then readopting it for the hajj itself. The sacrifice to be offered for doing this is a sheep after coming out of their harm. It is best done on a day of sacrifice. فَمَنْ لَمْ يَلِدْ تَصِيَامُ ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَّامٍ فِي الْحَجِّ وَسَبْعَةٍ إِذَا رَجَعْتُمْ For anyone who cannot find a sacrifice because it is not available or who does not have the necessary money, there are three days fast which you should do and hajj while in ihram. So the person doing this must go into ihram before the seventh of the Hijjah. It is best to do so before the sixth because it is disliked to fast the day of Arafah while in hajj. Nor is it permitted to fast during the days of Tashri according to the signs of so this is referring to someone who's making Hajj Tamattu Qiran and then they don't offer a sacrifice. What is the expiation? They fast three days during the days of Hajj and seven when they return home. Those three days, when are they? Imam Shafi his position is that they have to be done before Hajj begins, before the days of Hajj. So that person is in Ihram and they start to do their fasting. Because the Prophet said about the days of Tashriq, there are days of eating and drinking and remembrance of Allah, so he said it's not allowed to fast them. But the position of other scholars such as Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, and it is the stronger opinion Allah knows best, is that it is allowed for a person to fast on the days of Tashriq in this particular case, for this particular situation and circumstance, and therefore they can fast those days of the 11th, 12th and 13th, and they can fast the remaining days once they return to their homes. And furthermore, on your return, when one returns home from Mecca, after finishing the Hajj, Tilka Ashamatun Kamila, that is ten days of asking in all. There's a change in the text from third to second person. That means the ruling mentioned about the obligation to sacrifice or fast for your Hajj is for anyone whose family does not live near the sacred mosque. Those who live a distance of more than two stages away from the Haram. According to Ashafi'i, those who live nearer than that own neither sacrifice nor fast if they do tanakkur. The mention of family indicates the precondition of residence. If someone arrives before the, month, the months of Hajj and is not resident and does tanakkur, he must follow the ruling according to one of two views of Ashafi'i. The second view is that he does not have to. Family alludes that is the position of. Uh, the majority of the scholars, that the people of Mecca don't have to give a sacrifice. There is no tamatr for them because they don't go for the hajj outside of the haram and come back in. Family alludes to the person in hajj. Alongside the tamatr hajj is what is mentioned in the sunnah about the qiran hajj, which is to go into ihram for both hajj and umrah together. Be fearful of Allah, meaning in respect of what He has commanded and what He has forbidden. And know, what, and know that Allah is severe in retribution against those who oppose Him. The time of the Hajj takes place during one of the months, Shawwal, Dhul-Qa'dah, and the first ten days of Dhul-Hijjah, or the whole of it. Because there's a difference of opinion. Are the months of Hajj, Shawwal and Dhul-Qa'dah are agreed upon. But Dhul-Hijjah, is it only the ten days of Dhul-Hijjah, meaning up to the day of Eid, or all of Dhul-Hijjah? So that's why he mentions both opinions, and Allah Azza wa knows best. If anyone undertakes the obligation of hajj in them, meaning by going into ihram, there must be no sexual intercourse, no wrongdoing or acts of rebellion, nor any quarreling during hajj. 
He says that these were people of Yemen who would come for Hajj, they would bring neither food nor provision, and they would say, We trust our affairs to Allah. And so Allah says to them, no, take provision for your journey. It's not tawakkul to not take necessary means and steps or not take provisions and just pretend that that is tawakkul or trusting in Allah. Rather, trusting in Allah is to have that trust in Allah, but at the same time to take those necessary steps that you reasonably need to take. Remember your forefathers, some of the scholars of tafsir said, the way that young children, a child, a baby, would remember their parents, meaning how much they are in need of them and how much they remember them and call out upon them, that is how much we should show Allah Azzawajal remembrance and remember him on those days of Hajj. Another said, no, it's referring to the Quraysh because the Quraysh in the Hajj would have this, uh, this uh, practice that they would 
boast about their forefathers and boast about their ancestors and say my ancestors were better than yours and so on and Allah Azza wa is saying rather this is a time that you should be remembering Allah as much as you remember them rather more so than you would remember them and boast about them And this is an amazing dua, one of the most concise and comprehensive duas that we find. Oh Allah, grant us the good of this world and the good of the next world. In the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, Sahih Muslim, the Prophet went to visit a companion who he says in the description of the hadith had become as weak and as small and as fragile as a chickling. And so the Prophet said, perhaps you said something in a dua, you said something for this. The man said, yes, O Messenger of Allah, I said, O oh Allah, if you have prepared for me a punishment in the next life, I would rather you gave it to me in this life. Bring it in this life rather than the next life. The Prophet said, subhanallah, la tutiqo, glory be to Allah, this is unbearable. It would have been better for you to say instead, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar. Oh Allah, grant me the good of this world and the next world and save us from the punishment of the fire. The narrator says that he made this dua and Allah Azza wa Jal then cured him. Allah Azza wa Jal is swift in his reckoning. No time that I am aware of in the authentic hadith is mentioned for that no time scale is given. But Allah will judge people and he will be swift in their judgment and reckoning on a day. Its length will be 50,000 years. Ali radiallahu anhu was asked, O oh Ali, how will Allah judge between the people on the day of judgment when there will be billions of them with all of that number? And Ali radiallahu anhu said the same way that he provides for all of them in this world. Because of the difference in his beliefs. 
And that commentary is for the next ayah. Then he paused by some fields. That's the commentary of the next verse 205. When he is told, when he is told to be fearful of Allah and what he does, he is seized by pride and arrogance and compulsions relating to the overcoming. He tries to do wrongdoing, which he has been commanded to avoid. How will be enough for him for an evil resting place? As opposed to the believer, when when they are told to remember Allah and fear Allah, they inwardly reflect upon their situation and they think about this and they think about Allah's. Allah's power over them and they're standing before Allah on the day of judgment. When the believer is told fear Allah, it makes them humble. But when the hypocrite or the person who is weak in Iman or distant from Allah is told fear Allah, it makes them feel arrogant and proud and they feel almost as if they have been attacked and their pride has been attacked. Spending themselves in obedience to Allah, desiring the good pleasure of Allah. This refers particularly to Suhail, may Allah be pleased with him, when the idolaters start to persecute him, immigrate to Medina, and left his property to them. Allah is all gentle with his face, by guiding him to that which contains his pleasure. It is said that this verse is regarding Suhail, and as we know, when the companions made hijrah from Mecca to Medina, they left in different ways, in different states. Some of them, it was easy for them to leave. Some of them were held back. Some of them were imprisoned. Some of them were separated from their families. Some of them, their wealth taken from them. Suhaib radiallahu anhu was a weak person in terms of the Meccan society. He didn't have many people to protect him and, 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 and honor him or, or help him. When he went on his migration journey, it is said that some of the Meccans followed him. And he knew that they would follow him and that they would try to stop him because he was weak amongst them. So he turned to them and he said that I have left for you two great sacks of wealth in Mecca, in my house. If you go, it is for you. But if you wish to fight me, he drew his sword and he said, I will fight you until I die. Meaning that even if I don't take all of you, some of you will die. It is better for you to go back and at least take the wealth that I have left there. So they left him and let him go and they went back and they took his wealth. And that is what Allah is referring to in this verse according to some of the scholars of Tafsir. They sold their wealth in order to gain the pleasure of Allah Azza wa Jal. The following ayah was revealed about Abdullah ibn Salam and his companions when they continued to venerate Saturday as the Sabbath and disliked eating camels after becoming Muslim. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu dhukunu fissidni kaafah O you who believe, enter Islam, where the understanding and sin talks to meaning follow all its laws. Do not follow the footsteps and paths of Shaytan which they may seem attractive in order to divide you. Innahu lakum mubin. He is an outright clear enemy to you. 
this story of Abdullah ibn Sanam and not wanting to eat animals and so on, it is said that it is the statement of Iqimah rahimahullah ta'ala and even Kathir says that it is far-fetched because Abdullah ibn Sanam was known to be someone who once he accepted Islam became a very senior companion and known for his ibadah, known for his belief in Allah, known for his strong, strong faith. He was considered to be one of the great companions of the Prophet ﷺ. For him to come in and say, actually, I don't like something or don't want to accept something, Ibn Kathir says that's not what we know from him. Radiallahu <laughs> Finding a way from taking on all of Islam, the clear signs and manifest evidence that is the truth have come to you. Know that Allah is Almighty, taking revenge against you, all wise and what He does. Friends, zaltum zalla is to slip up. Any backside? I don't know what that means, but slip up. For in zaltum, you slip up. And that is another of the attributes of Allah that needs to be affirmed as it is mentioned in the Quran. What are they waiting for except for Allah to come? And Allah didn't say His command will come, Allah will come. Because Allah tells us in the Quran, On the day of judgment, your Lord will come and the angels in rows. Allah will come himself in a manner that befits his majesty on his throne subhanahu wa ta'ala in order to judge between the people. And so, yes, Allah's command also comes, but it is Allah who will come himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many times does Allah mention in the Quran that people think that because of the wealth that Allah has given to them, that it is a sign of Allah's blessing, a sign of Allah's pleasure and love for them. And Allah gives wealth to the believers and the disbelievers and to the righteous and to the evil. And Allah doesn't associate wealth and the giving of the blessing of wealth to Allah's pleasure and His love. And so because they thought that we are wealthier than these companions who are poor, who are at the bottom of society, therefore Allah must love us more than He loves them. And Allah is saying no. Rather what Allah will look at is their taqwa on the day of judgment. Wallahu <laughs> 
الناس أن تسلم المخلص كان الناس أمة واحدة mankind was a single nation in respect of their belief and then they differ from one another so that some believe and some disbelieve as is mentioned in the hadith of Ibn Abbas for 10 generations from the time of Adam until Nuh people were upon Tawheed they were a single nation then Allah sent out prophets to them bringing good news about the garden for those who believe and giving warning to those who disbelieve about the fire وَأَنزَلَ مَعَهُمُ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ لِيَحْكُمَ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ فِيمَا اخْتَلَفُوا فِيهِ And with them he sat down the book, meaning all the divine revelations to the truth, to decide by it between people regarding the differences in the respect of the deen. وَمَا اخْتَلَفَ فِيهِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ أُوتُوهُ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَتْهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتُ بَغْيًا بَيْنَهُمْ Only those who are given it, meaning the book, differ about it so that some believe and some disbelieve. After the clear signs and manifest evidence of Tawheed have come to them, envying one another, meaning the unbelievers. Then, by his permission, meaning by his will, Allah guided those who believe to the truth of that about which they have differed. وَاللَّهُ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءُ إِلَىٰ صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ Allah guides whomever He wills to a straight path, meaning the path of truth. The following ayah was revealed about afflictions which beset the Muslims. أَمْحَسِبْتُمْ أَنْ تَدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّةَ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ Or did you suppose that you would enter the garden without facing the same afflictions as were faced by those believers who came before you? So you should be patient as they were patient. مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالْضَرَّاءُ وَنُزِلُوا حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَهُ مَتَى نَصْرُ اللَّهِ Extreme poverty and illness afflicted them and they were shaken and alarmed with various types of affliction to the point that the messenger and those who believed with him felt that heart was slow in coming to end their hardship and said, when is Allah's help coming? Which we were promised. Allah answered them, أَلَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ Be assured that Allah's help is very near and will definitely come. يَسْأَلُونَكَ مَا دَا يُنْفِقُونَ They will ask you, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, what they should give away, meaning what they should spend. The inquirer was Amr ibn al-Yamur, who was an old man with wealth, and asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam what he should spend on and whom. قُلْ مَا أَنْفَقُتُمْ مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَلِلْوَالِدَيْنِ وَالْأَقْرَبِينَ وَالْيَتَامَى وَالْمَسَاكِينِ وَبِنِ السَّبِيلِ Say to each of them, any wealth you give away, whether a little or a lot, should go to the parents and relatives and to orphans and the very poor and families. This makes it clear the difference between the two schemes. وَمَا تَفْعَلُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ عَلِيمٌ Whatever good you do, in spending or anything else, Allah knows it and will reward you for it. كُتِبَ عَلَيْكُمُ الْقِتَالُ وَهُوَ حُرْبٌ لَكُمْ Fighting against unbelievers is prescribed and hereby made obligatory for you even if it is hateful for you and you dislike it because it entails hardship. وَعَسَىٰ أَن تَكْرَهُوا شَيْئًا وَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ وَعَسَىٰ أَن تُحِبُّوا شَيْئًا وَهُوَ شَرٌ لَكُمْ It may be that you hate a thing when it is good for you and it may be that you love a thing when it is bad for you. This is because the self-self is naturally inclined to lower appetites which will bring about its destruction and is adverse to duties which make happiness mandatory for it. So you may dislike fighting because it is good for you if through win victory and booty or gaining 
avoid you because that is the only abasement, poverty, and loss of reward. Wallahi a'lamu wa antum la ta'lamun. Allah knows what is good for you, and you do not know that. Haste is what he commands you. The Prophet sent the first of his expeditions, which was led by Abdullah ibn Jahsh. They fought about idolaters and killed Ibn al Hadrami on the last day of the night of Akhirah and went on into the sacred month of Rajab. So the unbelievers blamed them for allowing fighting in the sacred month, and then this ayah was revealed. They will ask you about the sacred month and fighting in it. Say he to them, fighting in it is a serious matter and a sin. But barring access to the way of Allah and his being and rejecting him, and barring access to the sacred mosque in Mecca and expounding his people, meaning the Prophet and the believers from it are far more serious and worse sin in the sight of Allah and fighting in it. The oppression of idolatry, meaning fitna on your part, is worse than killing you in it. وَلَا يَزَالُونَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ حَتَّى يَرُدُّوكُمْ عَنْ دِينِكُمْ إِنِ اسْتَطَاعُوا They, meaning the unbelievers, will not stop fighting you, the believers, until they make you revert to unbelief on your deen, if they are able. وَمِنْ يَرْتَدِلِنْكُمْ عَنْ دِينِهِ فَيَمُتْ وَهُوَ كَافِرُهُ فَأُولَٰئِكَ حَبِطَتْ أَعْمَالُهُمْ فِي الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ as for any of you who revert from their deen and die unbelievers, their righteous actions will come to nothing in this world and the next. There is nothing sent ahead by them and no reward for them. The fact that death is mentioned here as an indication means that if he were, if he were to revert to Islam, his actions would not be invalid and he would be rewarded for them and would not have to repeat them, such as having to repeat Hajj, for instance. That is the position of the Shafi'i. This verse was revealed concerning the expedition of Abdullah ibn Jahsh radiallahu When they went to fight and they didn't realize that the sacred month of Rajab had entered upon them. And Rajab is one of the sacred months in the year the four that Allah Azza wa Jal has prohibited within it, killing and fighting. And to do wrong in it is, is more grave than to do it outside of those sacred months. When they came and returned to Medina and then they realized that they had fought in the sacred month, the Shahul Haram, the disbelievers started a propaganda campaign saying that these are people who don't respect the sacred months that Allah has legislated. Allah answers and says, but what you have done is far worse than what they did by mistake. Stopping people from worshipping Allah, expelling people from their homes, taking their wealth, shirk and everything else is far greater than what they did uh, in a way that they didn't intend. And what he says here, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, about the position of Imam al-Shafi'i, he's referring to if a person is a Muslim, then they apostate, then they come back to being a Muslim. Does that mean now that everything that they did in their first Islam before they apostated is nullified, or does it remain? And that's why he mentions Hajj. If they did Hajj before, now they become a Muslim again. Do they have to repeat Hajj or not? The position of al-Shafi'i and Imam Ahmad and others is that no, they don't. And what they did before is preserved for them. Another scholar said, no, they start literally from scratch and they have to do those actions again. And the position of Imam Shafi and Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, and Allah knows best, seems to be stronger. When the expedition thought that even if they were free from wrong actions, they still would not obtain reward, the following was revealed. <laughs> 
and the elevated being can expect Allah's mercy and reward. Wallahu Allah is ever forgiving to believers who are merciful towards them. They will ask you about the judgment regarding intoxicants and gambling. Say to them, it is great, that is kabir, great, and one reading kabir, much. It is great one being really both of them, since they cause quarrels, mutual abuse, and foul language. And also certain benefits for mankind, including pleasure, enjoying wine, and getting money without effort and gambling. But the wrong and corruption in them is greater than the benefit. The harm which originates from them is far worse than any benefit which it accrues. When this was revealed, some people continued to drink while others abstained until the ayah of Surah Al-Ma'idah forbade it absolutely. They will ask you what and how much they should give away. Say, spend whatever is selfless to your need. Meaning, do not spend what you need and harm yourself by doing that. So this verse concerning the prohibition or, or the questioning of alcohol intoxicants and gambling alcohol was forbidden in three stages this is the first stage where Allah says that there is more harm than good and that is a principle of the sharia that when we see in something that there is a greater harm and even though there may be some good in it the harm makes it haram the harm is given precedence and vice versa there may be some small harm in something but the greater benefit is there so therefore it is something which is made halal and allowable so that was the first stage they were told there is a greater harm the second stage was that they were told not to drink whilst they were praying. Don't come to the prayer in a state of being drunk. So that means for five times during the day and the night they have to stay away from alcohol. And then the third stage is in Surah Al-An'am and that is the prohibition, the explicit prohibition of drinking and gambling. In this way, as was explained to you, Allah makes the signs clear to you, so that hopefully you will reflect. On the business of this world and the next, and take what is the best to be regarding it. They will ask you about the property of all things, and difficulties they face in looking after it, because if they consume it, they commit wrong. But if they separate their own property from that of all things, and prepare food for them alone from it, that results in hardship. Say, managing it in their best interests is best. Meaning managing their property is for the sake of its growth and shared profit is better than leaving it untouched and unproductive. And not just property, wealth generally. Managing their wealth, which is what the wording is that is used by Imam Ta'ala. Managing their wealth. Wealth includes property, includes money, includes anything that they can benefit from, land and so on. If you mix your property with theirs, meaning mixing your outlay with theirs, they are your brothers in the deen. Part of the business of a brother is to share with his brother, meaning that you make use of. Allah knows the squanderer who wastes their property through mixing with their own, from good managers who approves it for them. Both of them will be repaid. If Allah had wanted, could have been hard on you, constricting you by forbidding the mixing of property. Allah is Almighty and has control of His command, all wise in what He does. Do not, meaning Muslims, marry idolatrous, unbelieving women until they believe. Be 
Jesus, who is free, even though she may attract you by her beauty and wealth. The reason for the revelation of this ayah was the shame attached to marrying a slave and the, and the desire to marry a free idolater. And this is mentioned by Ibn Abi Hatim, Rahimahullah, in his tafsir, which is one of the earliest collections of tafsir. He says that Ma'qil ibn Yasar came to the Prophet seeking permission to marry a disbelieving woman in Mecca that he wanted to marry. And so this verse was revealed concerning him. Don't marry them. And these are people who are idolatrous. So don't marry them. And it is better for you to marry a believing woman, even if she happens to be a slave. This refers to non kitabi women by the ayah, chaste women of the people of the book. And do not give the Muslim women in marriage to idolatrous men until they believe. A believing slave is better for you than, than an idolater, even though he may attract you for handsomeness and wealth. Such people, idolaters, call you to the fire by inviting you to action which result in the fire, and so it is not proper to marry them. Whereas Allah calls you on the tongue of his prophets with his permission, meaning by his will, to action which result in rebellion and forgiveness. So you must respond by marrying his friends. He makes the signs clear to people so that hopefully he will pay heed and be warned. He will ask you about menstruation or, its, or about its status and what women should do during it. And that's because in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, in the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu, he says that the practice of the Jews of Medina is that when a woman would start her monthly cycle, they wouldn't sit with her, they wouldn't eat with her, they wouldn't mix with her. And so because of this, the Muslims were unaware of the rulings and they were unsure of how to, to, to proceed. And so Allah Azza wa Jal revealed this verse. So what Allah said is not allowed is to have marital relations during the monthly cycle. But everything else is allowed and it is permissible. Because the impurity is not within a person. It is the blood that is impure. But the believer doesn't become impure. In the hadith of Abu Hurairah al-Bukhari, he came out one day and met the Prophet ﷺ and he was in a state of janaba, of major ritual impurity. And as they were walking together, Abu Hurairah radiallahu an uh, sought permission. He said, excuse, he excused himself and he went. And then he came back and the Prophet ﷺ saw that he was dripping with water. He said, oh, what's wrong Abu Hurairah, what happened? He said, oh Messenger of Allah, I was in a state of janaba and I disliked to walk with you. Whilst I was in this state, so I went and I took a ghusl bath and then I came back. The Prophet ﷺ said, you didn't have to, for in just because the believer isn't impure. So the impurity isn't a physical impurity, it is a ritual state of impurity. And that is what Allah is saying here. So what is forbidden is the act of relations, marital relations, and not that the person themselves becomes impure. Once they have purified themselves, they go to, meaning have sexual intercourse with them in the way that Allah has enjoyed on you. 
If you avoided your menstruation, confining yourself to kissing them instead and not receiving them. Allah loves and will reward and honor those who turn back from wrongdoing and repent of wrong actions and He loves those who purify themselves from impurity. Your women are fertile fields for you, meaning the place of producing offspring. So come to your fertile field, meaning the site for creation, which is the vagina. However you like, standing, sitting, or lying down, on the front or the back, to repeat the statement of the youth that if someone comes to his wife from behind, she will have a squid-eyed child. Send good ahead for yourselves, by righteous actions like saying the Bismillah in intercourse. And be fearful of Allah regarding his commands and prohibitions. Know that you are going to meet him at the resurrection and he will repay you for your actions. And give good news to the believers who fear that they will meet Allah. Do not, by your oaths made using the name of the name of Allah, make Allah a pretext and a barrier by swearing a lot of oaths by Allah. To avoid good actions and being fearful of Allah and putting things right between people. If his dislike to make such an oath and it is a sunnah to break it. Expiated by going against it and doing good, and so breaking it is in fact an act of obedience. Do not prevent yourself from performing acts of piety and delight by swearing not to do them. Such people should be kafar because there is a revelation of this ayah which prevent barren people from doing good. Wallahu sami'un alim. Allah is all hearing of what you say, all knowing of your states. La yu'akhirukumullahu billahum fi aymanikum. Allah will not take you to task for inadvertent statements in your oath. Many things which the tongue says without any aim of swearing, like no by Allah and yes by Allah, for which there is no kafarah. But you will take you to task for the intention your hearts are made, meaning in respect of oaths you truly intend to make. Allah is ever forgiving of what is inadvertent or forbearing because He does not punish men who deserve it. لِلَّذِينَ يُؤْلُونَ مِنْ نِسَائِهِمْ تَرَبُّصُ أَرْبَعَةِ أَشْهُرٍ Those who swear to abstain from sexual relations with their wives, meaning barren not to have sexual intercourse with them, may wait for a period of up to four months in which they can retract the oath and have sexual intercourse with them. فَإِنْ فَاءُوا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ رَحِيمٌ If they then retract their oath in that time and have sexual intercourse, Allah is ever forgiving of the harm they did to the woman through the oath, most merciful towards them by deferring the punishment of those who deserve it. وَإِنْ عَزَمُوا الطَّلَاقَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ سَمِيعٌ عَلِيمٌ If they are determined to divorce and do not retract, divorce occurs. Allah is all hearing of what they say or knowing of their resolve. This means that after the waiting period mentioned, they only have the option of retraction or divorce. So this is referring to the rulings of Ilah. And Ilah is when a person, a man, takes an oath that he will have abstain from marital relations with his wife. If he does so for less than a period of four months, and then he has relations, then the relationship goes back to normal. And it's reported authentically that the Prophet ﷺ did this with his wives for a month. And that is a story in Al-Bukhari and it is a long hadith. But he did this for a month to, with his wives, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, to the extent that the people were hearing rumors that he had divorced his wives, and Umar radiallahu an, then went to the Prophet and there is a long hadith in Sahih Al-Bukhari, and you can return to it if you wish. 
once that period of four months elapses, which is what Allah is saying is, now then they must make a determination. The man can no longer keep his wife in that state for more than four months. He must make a determination either to reconcile or it goes to divorce. And so that period of four months is the limit for this type of ruling and that is ila'a. Which is the difference of opinion amongst the scholars of Islam. The qar, the word qar. So when a woman is divorced, her waiting period, her idda, is measured in the Quran by qar. What does qar refer to? Some of the scholars said it refers to the actual menstrual period. So once her third one starts, she has finished her waiting period. And others said, no, it's after she finishes her third period, meaning it refers to the clean, the state of being ritually clean after the menstrual period. And there is a difference of opinion amongst that, which is why Asiyuti mentions both. This applies to women whose marriage has been consummated. If the marriage has not been consummated, there is no idda to observe, as shown by Allah's words. There is no idda for you to calculate for them. In another ayah, the idda of a child is three months, and that of pregnant women, woman, and that of pregnant women after which gives birth. As is stated in Surah Al-Qalaq, the idda of a slave is through menstrual cycles. And there is a difference of opinion over that. If the wife, if the husband wants to take his wife back during the period of waiting, is there a condition that they have to want to reconcile, as Allah mentions here? Is that recommended or a precondition? Asiyyuti rahimahullah is saying it's not a precondition. Other scholars like Sheikh Sa'adi and Sheikh al and others said it is a precondition, meaning that if he wants to take her back, but his intention is to do harm to her, to do evil, then it is not allowed. This is irrevocable divorce. No one else has any right to marry them while they are in their idda. Women possess rights, meaning from their husbands, similar to those rights held over them by their husbands, to be honored with fairness, as prescribed in the Sharia, good treatment, lack of injury, and other such things. Men have a degree above them. Men have a degree of excellence since they pay them up and support women financially. Wallahu Azizun Hakim. Allah is Almighty in His kingdom, all wise in the hands of man His creation. Divorce can be pronounced twice. This concerns the irrevocable divorce. In which case, wives may be retained with correctness and courtesy without inflicting any harm or release, meaning let go with goodwill. It is not lawful, meaning husbands, for you to keep anything you have given them of any dowry and divorce them, unless a couple fear that they will not remain within Allah's limits, meaning that they will not perform the duties prescribed to them. 
فإن خفتم ألا يقيم حدود الله فلا جناح عليهما فيما اهتدت به. She feared that they will not remain within Allah's limits. It is not in line with the wife fancies in herself if some of what she has received. A wife can pay to be divorced, and in such a case, there is no harm in the husband taking it or the wife and paying it. Which is wala. When the wife seeks separation, she gives back her dowry so that she can be removed from this marriage contract. These wounds become measures that Allah permits, so it's not a possession. Yeah. And those who overstep Allah's boundaries and they are from the oppressors. But if a man divorces his wife a third time, she is not lawful for him after that, meaning after the third divorce, until she has married another husband and consummates the marriage with him, as it says in the hadith in the two Sahih collections. فَإِنْ طَلَّقَهَا فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِمَا أَنْ يَتَرَاجَعَا إِنْ ظَنَّا أَنْ يُقِيمَا حُدُودَ اللَّهِ Then if he, meaning the second husband, divorces her, it is not in one with the original couple getting back together after the end of the idda, provided they think it will remain within Allah's limits. وَتِلْكَ حُدُودُ اللَّهِ يُبَيِّنُهَا لِقَوْمٍ يَعْلَمُونَ These are Allah's limits. Which he has made clear to people who know and reflect. So once the husband and wife have been divorced for the third time, they cannot get married again until the wife gets married to another man and they consummate that marriage and then they have a divorce and then she marries the first one. And that marriage and that consummation and that divorce has to be valid and legitimate, meaning that she doesn't engage in that marriage just so that she can go back to her first husband and she gets divorced just so that she can go back. It has to be a valid, genuine marriage. And then if they happen to get divorced, then it is allowed for them to allowed for her to marry her first husband again. When you divorce women and they are near the end of their idda, then either retain them with correctness and courtesy without harming them, or release them with correctness and courtesy, meaning let them go without inflicting any harm on them at the end of their idda. Do not retain them by force, thus overstepping their limits. By forcing them to ransom themselves and trying to drag things out. Anyone who does that has wronged himself and exposed himself to Allah's punishment. Do not make a mockery of Allah's signs by opposing them. Remember Allah's blessings, meaning Islam, upon you, and the book, meaning the Quran, and wisdom, the rulings in it. He has sent down to you to admonish you by showing you gratitude to Him through acting on it. Be fearful of Allah and know that Allah has mounted all things so that nothing is hidden from Him. وَإِذَا طَلَّقْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ فَبَلَغْنَ أَجَلَهُنَّ فَلَا تَعْبُرُوهُنَّ أَنْ يَنْكِحْنَ أَزْوَاجَهُنَّ إِذَا تَرَاضَوْا بَيْنَهُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ When you divorce women and they are near the end of their idda, do not prevent them. This is addressed to the guardians of the women from marrying their first husbands who have divorced them. If they, the husbands and the wives, have mutually agreed to it, to it with correctness and courtesy according to the shari'ah. The reason for the revelation of this ayah was that the sister of Mahdi ibn Yasar 
was divorced by her husband, and then he wants to take her back, but Ma'fir is preventing him from doing so, as they have in the later. And it's also mentioned in Al-Bukhari, the same story. This, the prohibition of preventing them from remarrying, is an admonition for those of you who believe in Allah on the last day, because you are the ones who will benefit from it. That meaning not preventing them is better and purer for you because of the uncertainty which is feared for the couple because of the connection between them. Allah knows where your best interests lie and you do not know that. That is why he swallows his command. Mothers should nurse their children for truthful, full is for stress, for truthful years, for those who wish to complete the full term of nursing and do not know them that. It is the duty of the fathers of the children to feed and clothe them, meaning the mothers while they are nursing, with correctness and courtesy according to ability. No self and charge beyond what can bear. No mother should be put under the pressure in respect of the child by forcing him to nurse when he refuses, nor any father in respect of the child by making him spend more than he is able to. The child is ascribed to both parents because the affections of the child extend to both of them. The same duty is incumbent on the heir of the father, who is the child. The heir has a right to the money of his guardian. He has a similar entitlement to provision and clothing to the mothers. فَإِنْ أَرَادَ فِصَالًا عَنْ تَوَاضِهِمْ مِنْهُمَا وَتَشَاوِرِهِمْ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْهِمَا If the couple, meaning the parents, go to the weaning to take place before the two years are up, after mutual agreement and consultation between them in respect of the best interest of the child, there is nothing wrong in their doing so, and that is acceptable. The following is addressed to the fathers. وَإِنْ أَرَدْتُمْ أَنْ تَسْتَغْفِرُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ فَلَا جُنَاحَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِذَا سَلَّمْتُمْ مَا آتَيْتُمْ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ If you wish to find witnesses, meaning other than their mothers, for your children, there is nothing wrong in your doing, there is nothing wrong in your doing so, provided you hand them over, and you hand over to them what you have agreed to, you gave them payment to them, with correctness and courtesy, cheerfully and correctly. وَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَاعْلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ بَصِيرٌ Be fearful of Allah and know that Allah sees what you do. Nothing being hidden from Him. وَالَّذِينَ يُتَوَفَّوْنَ مِنْكُمْ وَيَذَرُونَ أَزْوَاجًا يَتَرَبَّصْنَ بِأَنفُسِهِنَّ أَرْبَعَةَ أَشْهُرٍ وَعَشْرًا Those of you who died leaving wives behind, they should wait by themselves as an idda after marriage for four months and ten days and ten nights. The end of the Iddah of a pregnant woman, however, is when she gives birth, as stated in the ayah of divorce. The Iddah of a slave girl is half that according to the Sunnah. When the Iddah comes to an end, you, meaning guardians, are not to blame for anything they do with themselves, meaning by way of adorning themselves and showing that they are ready for new marriage proposal with correctness and courtesy, which is correct in the Sharia. Allah is aware of what you do, knowing your inward as well as the outward. Allah is aware of what you do, 
marrying men and women with widows, widows and in danger. I want a man say, you are beautiful, or you could find anyone like you, or by the Lord I desire you. Nor for, nor for any use keep to yourself, considering your intention to marry them. Meaning that when a woman is in her idda, it is not allowed for a person to propose in marriage to her. But what he can say is he can give some indication that he would be interested after the idda. The Prophet ﷺ said to Fatima bint Qais anha in the Sunnah of Abi Dawood when she was on her waiting period, go and wait out your period of idda, and once you finish, come to me and speak to me before you decide to get married. And that's not because the Prophet ﷺ wanted to marry her, but he wanted to instruct her to marry Usama ibn Zayd radiyallahu anhumah. Allah knows that you will say things to them, things by proposals you make to them, and what you agree to, and that is permitted. وَلَكِنْ لَا تُوَاعِدُوهُنَّ سِرًّا إِلَّا أَنْ تَقُولُوا قَوْلًا مَعْرُوفًا So do not make secret arrangements with them, meaning to marry them, rather only speak with correctness and courtesy, in a manner which is correct in the Sharia. وَلَا تَعْزِمُوا عُقْدَةَ النِّكَاحِ حَتَّى يَبْلُغَ الْكِتَابُ أَجَلَهُ do not finally decide on the marriage contract until the prescribed period, the idda, has come to its end. وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ يَعْلَمُ مَا فِي أَنفُسِكُمْ Know that Allah knows what is in yourselves, of resolve and other things, so beware of him and his punishment if you resolve on marriage. وَعَلَمُوا أَنَّ اللَّهَ غَفُورٌ حَلِيمٌ And know that Allah is ever-forgiving of the one who wants, ever-forbearing, deferring the punishment to the one who deserves it. لا جناح عليكم إن طلقتم النساء ما لم تمسوهن أو تفسدوا لهن فريضة. There is nothing wrong with you divorcing women before you have touched them or allowed their dowry to them. Whether تمسوا تمسوهن you have touched and تماسوهن you have had intercourse with. ومتعوهن but give them a gift which they will enjoy. على الموسع قدمه وعلى المقتل قدمه He who is wealthy according to his means and he who is less wealthy according to his means And in this case the social rank of the wife is not considered مَتَاعًا لِلْمَعْرُوفِ A gift to be given with correctness and courtesy in accordance with the Sharia حَقًّا عَلَى الْمُحْسِنِينَ A duty for all doers means those who are available وَإِن طَلَّقْتُمُونَ مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ تَمَسْنُونَ وَقَدْ فَرَضْتُمْ لَهُنَّ فَرِيضَةً فَنُصْفُ مَا فَرَضْتُمْ If you divorce them before you have touched them, but have already allotted them a dowry, then they should have half the amount you allotted, and you can take half back. إِلَّا أَنْ يَعْفُونَ أَوْ يَعْفُوَ الَّذِي بِيَدِهِ عُقْدَةٌ Unless they forego it, unless the wife forgoes it. Or the one in charge of the marriage contract forgoes it. In other words, the husband allows her to take the entire amount. Ibn Abbas said that this means that the gu- this means the guardian should do this, the girl is to do this. <laughs> to forego it is also to be God-fearing. <laughs> do not forget to show generosity to one another and be kind to one another. Allah sees what you do and will repay you for it. So inshallah ta'ala with that we're going to conclude that these are verses of divorce that Allah Azza wa Jal goes into great detail as you can see and that is because 
It is often where a lot of oppression takes place between spouses and between family members. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this in his, as an example of those people who abide by Allah's laws and etiquette and follow the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But clearly the detail of these verses in terms of the rulings of divorce, this is not the place or the time for that, but rather that is for the books of fiqh. So inshallah ta'ala we will conclude here, bithnillahi ta'ala. And inshallah ta'ala we will continue tomorrow. Wa this recording was produced by Green Lane Masjid. For more information on the activities and services the mosque provides, please visit www.greenlanemasjid.org.